The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Cozy Tom, and I am joined by Snowden. Dan, as in Edward Snowden, or (laughs) the second I said it, I'm like, Dan is not going to avoid, be able to avoid making a Snowden reference. Yeah, big, big Snowden fan here, I I guess. Um, I am. I think they call themselves snow cones. It's a good name. I'm currently snowed in in the beautiful city of Honesdale, Pennsylvania, where I had to uh, quickly stop my drive back to school because uh, the roads were getting buried with snow. So, And I assume that's eastern Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, it's a little bit past uh, Scranton. Okay, so, yeah, I mean... We weren't sure when we were going to record this episode. Dan, of course, is doing his two to three day. It's been three day a few times, hasn't it? Drive. No, this from... is the first time it's been three days, unfortunately. But Well, then how long did you drive in one sitting that one time? Like th- I drove like 13 hours one time when it was really bad. That's fun. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if we still didn't have like decent connectivity to like stream YouTube and Netflix and like download podcasts. Could you imagine if you didn't have that? Yeah, I would be incredibly bored on drives. Thank God. I mean, that's what I, that's what I used to do. when I drove to Michigan tech up above Wisconsin from central Illinois, I would go like insane by the last three hours. There's only so many, I've like only five of the same comedy albums. And I did have songs on my phone by then though. So that was good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I went to school a little later, so I I, I got in like right when podcasts and uh, honestly, po- less podcasts than anything, more just internet connectivity became like super mm. ubiquitous. Like, because I feel like between the years like 2012 and 2016, mobile networks just went from being non-existent on highways to pretty much constantly there. There were podcasts obviously in like you know 2008 to 2011 but they weren't well known like it was much more you had i mean you you had to find them and use an app and organize them yourself was and and the connectivity really wasn't there for most of my drive to michigan tech so it wasn't like you had to plan ahead (laughs) and then when you went through a major city maybe you could download over 3g or something and that took forever yeah, driving has been a lot easier uh, because of that. And thank God it came uh, before I had to start driving 16 hours a couple times a year. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, but what I was saying before is we weren't sure if we would record this on the Monday or the Tuesday of the week because we didn't want to, you know, completely get you when you're dead from driving for two days. But, you know, now we are, I'm going to be honest, now we're lucky. We have you stranded with nothing to do in a hotel in eastern pennsylvania and so you have to do broken silicon 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going 40 miles an hour for 30, 40 miles an hour, an hour for like most of the drive. I was like, okay, this is kind of sucks. It'll probably take like nine hours of driving today instead of seven, six or seven. And then I took an exit onto like I-84 or something. And it went from the roads being workable to just completely covered in snow. Like you couldn't see the lanes or anything. I was driving 20 miles per hour. And then I <laughs> pulled up Google Maps and uh, set my route to the closest hotel I could find. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me today, most of the drivers on the road were surprisingly uh, conscientious and being aware of everyone else. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to. You say surprisingly because that's not usually your experience. Uh, once you get out of <laughs> where we, you know, <laughs> where our family's from. But uh, seriously, I saw multiple cars completely lose traction and stop in the middle of the highway. Multiple cars in front of you. You you didn't just see them on the side of the road. You saw them like spin out in real time. Yes, it was. Jeez. No, no. Luckily, no accidents. Well, I saw the aftermath of one accident, but it wasn't too bad. So, all things considered, not too terrible. And this is the effort we go through to get you guys an episode every week. Well, actually, I am joking when I say that, but I, I think it is worth bringing up. We've gotten you an episode every week, you know, either on time or as quickly as we can. If there's like an announcement on a Wednesday or something, three episodes, we're basically looking back at 2020 and our hopes and predictions for 2021. A lot of you enjoyed that, you know, me and Dan and then me and David and then both of us with tech deals, you know, I just, I never, I, even when we're on break, which we've been like entirely unplugged pretty much for December, um, which I, I did, I never realized how much I need it until I'm halfway through the break. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even imagine if I would have kept working through this. Um, <laughs> but even during that though, when we unplugged, we wanted to have some content out there because I know what it's like to have a podcast, whether it's your favorite or just when you like, and just Having that, you know, notification every Wednesday or every Friday or whatever it is, um, I never want to miss that. Also, it's like at a certain point, it's like I, mean, I think that's what you guys are paying for, right? Like, <laughs> I can't understand these people that just disappear for months. Yeah, I don't know how some people do that, but eh. I don't know how some people keep paying them. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not to be too critical, but yeah. But so I guess uh, I guess yeah. What I'm saying is. We hope you enjoyed the content we kept rolling out. We definitely needed that break. And we hope you'll, you know, just a reminder that it is definitely the patrons keeping us going here. So let us, let me see. I've got some business to get to, but let's get into the goofy questions that I usually call important questions first. Um, so Seawolf writes in and says, Moore's Law, should you should combine your love of dogs, computers, and crypto and start a monthly Dogecoin podcast. Huh? You know, to be honest, I think a few years ago I could have done a crypto podcast, but I think at this point there's just no, there's not not, not to, enough to talk about. Yeah, there's from not my that perspective much to anymore. Talk about really anymore. I feel like I don't know, like Zcash was the last big thing that got any notoriety, and after that, all of the other coins started dying. So. Well, you, now you're not from your perspective, you're about to see a million YouTube comments bringing up their latest oh, shit, you know, shit coins saying, no, 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 this one, this one, you've got to get polka dot or whatever the hell. <laughs> I don't even know what's in the 
Like, it's funny, like, because me and Dan used to be more interested in, you know, what would be nicer instead of calling it a shit coin, it would be called an altcoin, an alternative to Bitcoin. We stopped really paying attention to these like two years ago. And so it's just funny for us every few months to just pull it up and be like, what the hell is theta? Let's theta. <laughs> let's see. Let me pull it up. I mean, I'm on coin market. My prediction is it's nothing uh, interesting at all. Theta mainnet introducing T fuel staking and burning. Oh, it's an esports blockchain yeah. because that's what we need. We need a dollar for esports. We can't just use the dollar. In my dream world, we'd have a dollar for esports. We'd have a dollar for gas stations. We'll have a dollar for food. We'll have a dollar for alcohol. It's awesome. We'll have 1,000 types of gift cards you effectively need to go anywhere. That's definitely a future you want to live in. Hell yeah, bro. And there will be some people undoubtedly, because there's, of course, a huge crossover between computer hardware geeks and cryptocurrency. There will be some people that get mad that I'm not talking about Monero or Dash or insert. I mean, what? Let me just scroll. What, what, what's the newest Celsius, whatever the hell that is? You know, I, I'm, I'm not talking about your... It's, you don't have to agree with me, but if you want my opinion, that is, it is what it is. Bitcoin's the one that's lasted for this many years and is at an all-time high. Well, the others are still trying to get to where they were three or four years ago. And so you can take my advice or lose money, just do whatever you want to do. But that is my opinion on it, you know, is that Bitcoin's there. It has a long ways it can go to becoming a, a, a standard. And hey, you don't need to listen to me talk about it that much. My info's out there. Take it or leave it. I don't really care. <laughs> Yeah, and if you uh, don't agree with us right now, come back to us two years from now when you're a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> or you've lost all your money. Yes. My Little Pony writes in and says, what's thirstier, overclocked Ampere with energy or a virgin simp with cam girls bathwater? Well, the simp's definitely thirstier than Ampere. <sighs> Hopefully not thirsty enough to drink that bathwater, but definitely. They'll probably get sick. You know. Well, there might be soap in it. They usually like, I think H3H3 H3 broke down what was it, Belle Delphine's bathwater, and they like found traces of alcohol. So they weren't sure if she was drunk. Oh, no, it was her spit. They weren't sure if she was drunk when she sent out the stuff or if they just like poured a shot of vodka in. So if someone did drink it, there probably wouldn't be any bacteria. Or I think the other thing they thought was maybe something had fermented in there since because they had left. Oh, it that's for, like, true. It could have just three been months. that. <laughs> they did say it smelled horrid. Yeah, I can't imagine two-month-old spit would smell good. Hislarian Bitrot writes in and says, Hey, Tom, with KFC announcing and shipping a console before Atari could, despite Atari's three-year head start announcing, that's right, Atari was saying they're making some new console. It's basically just a gaming PC as well. He says, When can we expect to die shrink on the five secret herbs and spices behind KFC's finger-licking good technology? I mean, if you if you wanted us to do a die shrink on alternative consoles, and that includes an upcoming Atari one and the KFC one, if you're a patron, you know, well, I, I'm going to put out more, you know, requests and then polls and, you know, voting on what you want. We can do one on that if you guys want. I am curious how many of those they're actually going to make or if it, it if it's just literally solely a marketing thing and they sell like 20 of them. I mean, it, it's it's mostly marketing for sure. Um, KFC, does I, I really a bunch don't know. That. Yeah, they do a lot of that, and the, and this really, I think, started with the KF editions of Intel, and it just became a meme online that they were Kentucky Fried <laughs> Intel processors. So it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I what I, I don't really have much to say about it, except I did find some things both amusing and annoying. Like I found 
Like they were saying it will be comparable to the next gen consoles. And I was looking at the expected specs. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it isn't. Yeah, I'm guessing there's going to be like, what, a 2060 in there or something, if that? Probably, or tw- yeah, at most. And or 2070, maybe. And then like, you know, I forgot which, which processor. It may have just been a six core or something. Um, I'm like, no, it's it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> Although it does have something built to heat up chicken on it. So that's a new feature. Of, so that's, you know, that is an exclusive feature to the KFC console. And a feature that I think a lot of people are going to want. <laughs> One thing notable, too, is I saw a bunch of people making the joke on Twitter that this will be easier this will be easier to get than the PlayStation 5 and Xbox because they'll actually make them. And I'm like, well, we'll get to the article later, guys. They're making them. It just, just the, the, <laughs> the compl- I, I, I feel like I'm just completely beating a dead horse with another dead horse at this point. But my God, the misunderstanding of why there is so, it's hard to get products right now is blowing my mind. People thinking they didn't make a lot of PS5s, for example, or whatever. I mean, just look, I just look at the didn't numbers. Didn't anyone else learn supply and demand? Is, is, am I the only one who had those classes in high school? Not even college. I'm talking like, uh, <laughs> I, at a certain point, yeah. I think people fundamentally cannot understand what supply and demand is. It's such a simple concept. Yeah, I mean, we'll get more into that later too. But there, yeah, there's a lot of PS5s out there already and a lot of Xbox Series Xs out there already. Relative to any other generation, indisputably, that's true. Mm -hmm. All right. So before we get to corrections and omissions, let me just see. I think I had some notes here for business. Uh, I just want to do like a final announcement for fans of Broken Silicon and Moore's Law is Dead that just plugging, you know, we've gotten to, I remember thinking it would be awesome if we could get to 64,000 subscribers last year and now we're over a hundred thousand i think the focus on this year will be growing the really the spine of the community which is which is the patreon and really cultivating where to go next so just a reminder that it really there is a community here for you if you're a fan i mean just two dollars a month gets you the exclusive podcast die shrink and access to asking guest questions and access to the Discord to discuss videos um, after they're out and discuss, I mean, anything. There's like a, a little Craigslist that's appeared on our Discord mm. and overclocking advice. I mean, that's it's $2 a month for that. And then for $4, you get ad-free versions of now Loose Ends, Broken Silicon, the ability to submit reader mails. It's really interaction tier. I just, just a reminder of that. If you're like on the fence, that's really what we want to grow to increase the quality of the content this year. You're never going to be able to rely on YouTube or that or or really anything else because you never know what can happen with sponsors as well. They really have all the power. Um, so just just a reminder that we're still not to the current goal we have when we're looking to add another goal. I think and if we hit this goal, we'll finally be where we're at, where... We have enough money to say this is worth your time <laughs> and Gerard's time. But just a reminder that that's all it is at this point is worth your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just a reminder that we're here. We're looking to add new goals and that we'll be looking for input on where to go next as well. Whether I think something to the effect of a die shrink every week, maybe, and a, or looking into getting a producer and video editor so we can turn Broken Silicon into a much bigger video show. Because at a certain point, we're just going to need someone to organize the notes and do the editing 
for us or we won't be or we'll burn out. <laughs> like, and I almost did this year, to be honest. Like, I actually looked at all the content that was out. And I was just so exhausted. Honestly, I don't even feel like I got enough rest yet, guys. So, I mean, yeah, and I, I you don't, <laughs> you don't see any of the work I, I do like outside of the channel, but I'm also a full-time graduate student. So it's, it's been a uh, hectic year to say the least. But let us get into it. So we just have one corrections and omissions before we get to the story. Dead Fishy writes in and says, hey, Tom, you don't have to read this in a loose ends or broken silicon. Okay, I'm going to because you submitted it. And he goes, just want to advise you to stop saying 100% margins. It's like dividing by zero. It isn't really possible. 50% margins is if an item is 500 to produce and you sell for 1,000. 99% on an item means that if you sold it for 1,000, it would only cost $10 to produce. So that'd be like diamonds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, diamonds are such a ripoff um but uh anyways yeah no that's correct i've been like interchangeably using markup and margins like i have nothing else to say except that i mean i've I've meant markup most of the time sometimes i have meant margins but most of the time i meant markup but if we're going to be using both we should probably use the correct terminology Well, th- that's correct, and so that that that's why it's like no, this is, and I this is another reminder to the community that as we don't have time to really get to YouTube comments anymore, this is a section in the reader mail submissions. If you see something you disagree with that you think would be a good conversation, again, you have to put thought into it. I'm not just going to read an all caps comment on here, but you know that it's there. If if there's a mistake we're making, submit a reader mail. This is. This is really on the patrons now to become part of voicing their concerns in the channel. And because because the YouTube comments, the bigger you get, the less they're, they're just useless now. Like, I'm going to be honest, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it's impossible to read them at a certain point. All right. So a lot of opening business, but this is the first podcast of the year that was, you know, newly recorded. So let us get into it, though. Let us get into the news. So story number one, NVIDIA Lovelace in quotation marks pops up. And I'm quoting from video cards. A week ago, we reported that NVIDIA will introduce a new graphics architecture named after Ada Lovelace. This series is expected to be NVIDIA's next gaming architecture that could arrive even before Hopper. The architecture codenamed Lovelace would see an increase in graphics processing clusters up to 12 cores, which is twice as many as Ampere's GA102 GPU has. This is according to the new tweet from a well-known and proven leaker at Copite 7 Kimmy. This means that the GPU could hold twice as many texture processors, basically saying twice the cores as like the uh, 3080. It is unclear when we when would the new architecture be released. Copite Kimmy has started sharing information on this architecture only this month, so it appears to be a rather fresh topic. Yeah, I guess when I read through the reporting on video cards for this article, I do have a pretty big problem, which is if I go to the original source, which you always should, Copite 7 Kimmy, he says maybe it will get 12 times 6 structure. So I think there's a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of tech tubers spamming 40, 80, 18,000 cores. In the original source, he even says maybe. Yeah. I, some of these articles, they just run away with one, one like suggestion that he didn't even, well, he didn't even confirm or say fully in his, in his tweet. Yeah. And so. I guess, and, and I do, but we do have to talk about it because this is what a lot of people have asked me about over the break. And all I got to say is when I look at the comments under Copite's original tweet, 
And like, it's just rampant speculation and like everyone like trying to write whole articles about, I mean, guys, do I have to remind you like how many NVIDIA and AMD architectures have been leaked that never came out before? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. These companies are constantly working on developing new architectures or who knows if this, uh, it could be a not gaming architecture. And it could be not a gaming architecture. It's not like they only release gaming architectures. Right. Like, because, like, a good example would be Volta. Everyone, I don't remember the year anymore. God, it's been too long. But I remember for months, everyone was like, Volta comes after uh, Pascal, and they didn't even talk about Turing for all. And and so that's another funny thing I find too is when people are going, oh, this is coming out instead of Hopper. You mean how we heard about. Yeah, like, I don't know that that's true, right? Like, Volta popped up, and then everyone assumed it was that instead of Turing. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so the takeaway really is, is that it's too early to talk about it, and that if it does, if it maybe does have 18,000 CUDA cores, I find that very odd, to be honest. Uh, I mean, we've talked about how the doubling of CUDA cores, this architecture is somewhat dubious. So yeah, doubling again, I don't know what benefit we'll see. And you mean that like the 3090 didn't scale performance that much more than the 3080 despite having so many more cores. Yeah, so I I, I don't know what this increase will bring to gaming performance or if this is once again another more AI-focused architecture. Right, which, but then again, no one knew, no one foresaw seemingly that um, Ampere would actually have higher teraflops than, uh, well, I guess that gaming Ampere would have more teraflops than uh, uh, the, what is it, A100. Oh, yeah, that's true, I guess. <laughs> so I, I would just say the one thing I would, the one thing I would say is this if it is 18,000 CUDA cores, I think suspect this is an evolution of Ampere that's on Samsung again or something. Because one reason I think they obviously went wide instead of fast with Ampere is because that's all they could do on Samsung's node. Yeah. Like, they they, they they weren't going to clock it. You know, whereas AMD always knew they were going to be on TSMC, and so they designed you know, from the beginning a g- architecture that would be good at gaming and clock way far above what we've seen before. So that's what this would suggest to me. The very least, what I would say is I'd be surprised if this was at 2.5 gigahertz with that many CUDA cores. Whatever CUDA cores even means anymore, by the way. Well, if this is the next gaming architecture, are you excited to see 72 teraflops advertised, Tom? Yeah, as teraflops continues to mean absolutely <laughs> nothing for gaming. More and more as the years go on. I mean, I guess yeah. the one thing I would say is what I could see happening is the reason they would add so many more cores is if it could better offload ray tracing and just brute force it with teraflops. Yeah, I suppose. To fully saturate them, which is probably what it would be doing. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't think, I honestly don't think there's that much to say except that, well, whether it's, called Hopper or Lovelace, or there's both. There could certainly be both. There usually is. Um, I, I just wouldn't obsess over this. I, I, I really think this year, in terms of what you can actually expect to get, is not the year of Zen 4 and RDNA 3 and Lovelace. This is the year of Ampere and RDNA 2 and Zen 3 and maybe Zen 3 Plus. Like What's coming out right now is what you should expect to get for the next 12 months. 
This is not like, oh, let's start doing some big Lovelace leak video. Um, you know, like I even I did reach out to some sources too, and they're like, dude, this is way too early to even nothing. There's no information. This is do this is not something anyone should be talking about yet. Uh, Everyone's focused on Ampere, even at NVIDIA. I mean, how much can you talk about uh <laughs> about a code name to an architecture? It's like okay, oh, Hopper and Lovelace both exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, but yeah, Hopper and Lovelace both exist. I guess we don't know really that much about either of them, and it's not like either of these things are going to be available in any appreciable number, at least at yeah. all this year. Okay, so let us move on to story number two. Leaks suggest the laptop RTX 3080 Max-Q will be GA104 with 16 gigabytes. And I'm quoting again from video cards here. NVIDIA is expected to launch three SKUs, the GeForce RTX 3080, the RTX 3070, and the RTX 3060. The first two are likely to feature GA104, but their exact configurations have not yet been confirmed. Now, this is the initial reporting. I believe subsequently it's becoming more obvious that that is what the mobile 3080 will be. So I guess let me skip the rest of this writing here. I noticed that the Dutch uh, notebook company, which is S-K-I-K-K, um, pulled the page. <laughs> but But there has been other reporting since as well. And really all there is to say is that it does indeed seem like they, for now, aren't going to try to slot G. <laughs> They're not going to try to put a GA102 3080 in laptops just yet. Uh, I That would be fun, but it would also be a laptop that uses like 200 watts. <laughs> for Just for the graphics card, which I think it's worth pointing out. They didn't even really have a 2080 in laptops right away, nor a 2080 Super, that it wasn't until like a year or more after Turing mm. was out, if I remember correctly that the 2080 Super had some incarnation in a laptop. And I believe that one used like 150 watts or something. So if they had trouble getting that in there, I just... You can't imagine. Getting one getting 102 in there, it's, it's not happening, you know? Yeah. I guess that's just worth pointing out, though, that I'm actually quite disappointed that they're calling it possibly the 3080 Max-Q. It'll have more cores than the 3070. It'll be the full die, most likely. And it'll get 16 gigabytes of RAM to try to make up for it. But I really resent them going back to this so quickly because I loved that after Maxwell with Pascal, they started calling the... The the actually the mobile 1070, which was just called the 1070, actually had more CUDA cores than the desktop one, but then it was clocked slightly lower. But it was the same die, you know, like the 1060 in laptops was literally a 1060, maybe more TDP constrained. But it, you were getting a mm-hmm. 1060. If you undervolted it, you could expect 1060 performance. I have a 2060 Max Q in a laptop. It performs after I undervolt it like a desktop 2060. And it's set. I always thought that was just them going, you know what? Let's stop with the confusing naming. We, you know, we can just name them what they are. And if a mid range gaming laptop has like a 1050 instead of a 1060, that's fine. But we're going to call it a 1050 so people know what they're buying. I don't know. Seeing them call this a 3080 Max Q makes me go, well, maybe it was just because they used to be more efficient. Maybe it was <laughs> just opportunism, not them actually trying to be more consistent in their naming. Because, I mean, basically, this is just a 3080M. We're going back to not really knowing what you're buying unless you look it up on Notebook Check. Yeah, I, I, I like uh, when naming when naming is consistent between products. Like if it's GA104, call it, what would that be, 3070, right? 
Yeah. So just keep naming schemes uh, consistent so it's actually easy to tell what you're buying because, I don't know, looking at graphics, laptop graphics cards forever was a nightmare because they're just selling different products and calling them the same thing. And AMD still does that and it kind of pisses me off. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and And it's because there's no reason not to except to make laptop buyers feel like they're getting more than they really are. I mean, that's why they do it. They're like, oh, this is the, I remember when we first got, when we were really into PC gaming, we are 7970s, there was the 680M, you know, like, like, I, I don't, it wasn't a 680, you know, and it, it just, so just call it whatever it is, you know, call it a 660 Ti, call it a 670. That's still good in a laptop, but I don't know. It, it seems they're just, Supposedly going back to whatever, but I will say that that will be a good, if they can make it not, if they can fit it into laptops like Razer's 15 inch and like reasonably sized thin laptops, this will be a decent 20, 30% gain again or more over what they used to have. I mean, you're basically getting a six, you know, it'll have more cores than the 3070. I assume it'll be clocked lower though. It'll be about 2080 Ti performance, except with 16 gigabytes of RAM and a laptop. That that is impressive. You know, we, we should yeah, stop shitting course. on it a little bit to acknowledge that if they pull this off, it will be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it will it will be a good uh, and laptops for people that want a desktop replacement piece, uh, laptop, but it, it's not it's not like it's going to be performing as well as a 3080. <laughs> No, and it, I mean, let's also acknowledge that it's unlikely they give it GDR6X. Again, if you did that, and you're yeah. like, well, it has more cores than a 3070. It has GDR6X. I think there could be an argument made that it, that you could kind of call it the same tier as a 3080, relatively yeah, speaking. But, I don't, but GDR6X, we know, is so power hungry, so I doubt it. And even then, I would say, well, just call it a 3070 Ti. Stop with the stop with the line what it is <laughs> and hell uh given availability of parts right now maybe the laptops will be cheaper than a desktop uh featuring the same thing you know i think we i talked about that possibly i don't know if it was david and i know i've talked about it with you offline but it is to the point and i was talking to a friend too i was giving him some advice i'm like where some of these laptop deals that come with like either renoir or a six or eight core i7 and a 2060 and a laptop some of them are approaching a thousand dollars and that's almost cheaper than what you can get with like a used four hundred dollar 2060 <laughs> and uh like it's almost to the point where laptop price performance for, is it's approaching desktop which it's not as good, but the fact that it's even within 20% sometimes now, when it when it's a laptop you can bring anywhere and it comes with like a 4K screen built in and a keyboard built in, that's a little worrisome for the do-it-yourself market, how insane these prices have gotten. And I hope, I hope people in the do-it-yourself uh, that are into this realize that because it's, it, it, it shouldn't be that way because laptops... It makes sense why a laptop sporting these same hardware is more expensive than a desktop. So I don't know. It comes with a battery and a screen and, a you know. Yeah. It, it, and it's built for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, pricing is just so stupid right now. Um, so I just, I, that is worth pointing out, though, that if prices were to get 20, 30% worse, we would be to where I'd say just buy a laptop, which yeah. to a certain extent is what happened during the mining boom. Yeah. I, uh, in 2017, except now it's the gamers buying boom. 
<laughs> it's the we need our graphics cards now boom. Which let me say that. I I I have two cards still mining. I don't have a bunch of rigs anymore. And and profitability is up. It's still like a fifth of what the profitability was in 2017 and 2018. <laughs> so I just wanted I just want to stress that some miners are buying cards, but the it's not what it was, guys. Again, yeah. really it isn't. Um Big Lamb writes in and says, Hey, Tom, I know you were puzzled why NVIDIA went with GDR6X and thought it might have been a mistake on their part. But I was thinking, what if they did so so that they didn't have to compete with AMD, Sony, and Microsoft for memory allocation? It might have still been a mistake due to power draw for this memory, but maybe that was their consideration in going with GDR6X instead of GDR6. Seeing the 3070 and 3060 Ti have more stock, though, using GDR6 kind of disagrees with what I'm saying, though, now that I think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say no. I, I don't think so. I, I think a lot of similar machinery is used. It's, it's not that. It's, um, the reason they went with GDR6X, I believe, is for more bandwidth, and at least from some of the sources I remember talking to in the middle of last year about Ampere. It wasn't like a last minute thing. But again, you got to look at like GDR5X was announced months, like half a year before the 1080 came out, uh, at least I think. And GDR6X was not before (laughs) Ampere. It really seems like it was developed. I think last minute is the wrong word, but it was probably in development before, but it does seem much more rushed into Ampere to give it more bandwidth. You know, again, once they realize the 3090 just straight up won't outperform the 3080 by almost any margin unless they can get more bandwidth in there. And that it was this kind of calculation of, well, we need more bandwidth, but we're not willing to use HBM. So let's use GDR6X. And then we can also use GDR6 on the lower models. But then it also, I believe, used far more energy on the, with Samsung making the memory controller and the whole die than otherwise. And that's why it effectively didn't get more bandwidth. I really think it was a few things that it was somewhat rushed. And also they thought it would clock higher on Ampere. And that's why only in hindsight can they go, we probably should have just stuck with GDR6. I mean, that's what they do with the professional cards. So there's a reason I say these things. And I think if there were issues with GDR6 availability, I feel like there would have been some indication out like in the news about that, which I haven't seen anything. Right. And, and I think it is also worth pointing out again that those shipment numbers that I said for Ampere, which I'm trying to remember, is like over 30,000, 3090s, 300,000, 3080s for quarter four, and over 400,000 or whatever it was, GA104, which is 3070, 3060 Ti. Those numbers hold. They just sent most of the 3080 supply to miners. <laughs> and then they kept the 3090 because the miners didn't need the 3090. They didn't need the full die. And they also knew that people were so desperate they would be, they would likely go, well, I can't get a 3080, so let me just buy a 3090 and give them double the, you know, profits, which a lot of people I saw in the comments did. They just said, I couldn't get a 6800 XT, nor could I get a 3080. Of course, you couldn't get a 3080. They barely shipped any. To this day, they barely shipped any to gamers. And so they just bought a 3090, and that's what NVIDIA wanted you to do. So, (laughs) And to an extent, like, if you're buying a 3080 i imagine a lot of the people that have the money to buy a 3080 have the money to <laughs> just spend a thousand dollars more because that spending what is it 750 or whatever the market price for it now is 
uh, on a graphics card is kind of ludicrous. So yeah, just buy, spend $1,500. Might as well. Uh, that's what the data suggests people are doing, um, which again, let us point out, NVIDIA's goal is to get the 80 above $1,000. <laughs> and it seems like they're pretty close to achieving their goal. But let, let us... Let's get out of this depressing talk and go to story number three. Gigabyte and Lenovo seemingly confirmed the 20 gigabyte 3080 Ti, 12 gigabyte 3060, and 6 gigabyte 3050 Ti. So quoting here, I believe from Tom's hardware, inadvertently, Gigabyte may have just confirmed the existence of not only a 20 gigabyte RTX 3080 Ti, but also a 12 gigabyte RTX 3060. That may not sound like a big deal at face value, but if you ask me, it's something that's certainly worth getting excited about. By now, this isn't the first time we've heard of these cards. The public has been asking for them for a long time, even before the 3080 came out. And Asus has also accidentally listed similar models a few days ago. So reasons to doubt this listing are starting to dwindle. But what makes these high-capacity cards interesting is they're likely to stand up to the test of time. It's no industry secret that NVIDIA's cards often lead the charge when it comes to running today's titles. but then. Also, AMD tends to age like fine wine. A large part of this is due to AMD happily giving larger chunks of memory on their cards earlier than NVIDIA tends to, which helps with future games that require a larger buffer. Um, So yeah, I guess I'll just skip ahead here um, from the rest of this article. I mean, the fact is Gigabyte, as usual, it seems, has leaked models that are likely coming out. And now Asus has as well. They both link to a 3060 12 gigabyte. I also did a little bit of research before we started recording. I cannot find references to a 6 gigabyte 3060 anywhere, which hmm. is what Gamers Nexus said was also coming. And I just assumed that they would do both a 6 gigabyte and a 12 gigabyte model. But, and I can't say I've confirmed this, but what I can say is at least based on other leaks that are out there, not coming from me, it really seems to point to a 12, just straight up a 12 gigabyte 3060 and a 6 gigabyte 3050 Ti. And I would guess the 12 gigabyte 3060 will be like 350 and the 6 gigabyte 3050 Ti will probably be like 270, 280, which will probably only be about 10% weaker if you're not running out of RAM. Yeah. So I don't know. This is, I guess on face value, this doesn't seem bad a 12 gigabyte 3060 for 350 um but i, I don't know just seeing the, the the 50 ti become an above 200 card is <laughs> oh they did it i told you in multiple videos nvidia's goal is to get the 80 to a thousand and get the 50 ti to the price of what the 36 the 60s used to be and i think they're about to achieve it i don't really know what to say to that that's it's kind of insane to me like remember seven years ago when the 50 ti was a hundred dollars <laughs> yep i do that was when i would recommend people buy pcs <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of fallen apart i i don't know how much else to add to that other than not not good in my opinion which it's also kind of funny because there's no doubt in my mind that at least with gamers nexus reporting he was saying how the 6 gigabyte model they're trying to get it close to 250 probably to be cheaper than the 6700 non XT but that it, AIBs were like we can't make profits if you do and <laughs> you've already screwed us on the 3080 pricing so you're not screwing us on this my guess is that 
NVIDIA is trying to make up for it. Because if you add six gigabytes, making it 12 instead of six, you're really only adding like $30 to the cost. So they're probably like, fine, we'll make it 350 and 12 gigabytes as standard. That will also compete better with AMD's uh, 6700 XT and 6700. So I guess it, it, it... it makes sense, but it's just going to look silly next to the 3060 Ti if this is true. But there's no way around it. They, in my opinion, they messed up in their segmentation for these cards. Clearly. One or two of the cards were just going to look silly at some point. And we'll just see what they do. If they really just continue selling a 3060 Ti 8 gigabyte for $400 and $50 less for a 20% weaker but more RAM card. Or if they start phasing things out kind of like how they phased out the 2070 after the 2070 Super came out. We'll just have to see. Well, and I feel like it was more... Well, you you still see it from AMD a lot, I guess. But I feel like it was more common at a certain point in time to see like just different variants of cards with uh, different amounts of memory. So, I don't know. A 6 gigabyte and 12 gigabyte variant of the 3060 would make the 3060 Ti, I think, look less stupid, maybe. Right, because it's like, oh, this is a special version, right? Exactly. Kind of like if... There was a three gigabyte and a six gigabyte 780, but it was kind of hard to get the six gigabyte 780. And so it didn't entirely make the Titan look stupid. Yeah. And so you back in the Kepler days. Yeah. So you'll get the six gigabyte variant that will probably be RAM constrained in a while. And the 12 gigabyte that probably has a little bit too much RAM for the power of the 3060, but. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think it is. I you have the, I keep I've said this a lot on recent content we put out, but I I'm sorry that the RX <laughs> I mean, where do, how far back do you want me to go? The the R9 390 was a what like a, a 350 $400 card yeah. that had 8 gigabytes of RAM 5 6 6 years ago or so. I don't even remember anyway. I think 5 years ago. Uh it's 2021 now, almost 6 years ago probably. Um, and then the RX 480 was an eight gigabyte card for 250 around there. And it's like, so yeah, I, I think 12 gigabytes for 300 is where we should be at. There's inflation. So you maybe increase the price a little bit, but no, I think mid range cards should have 12 gigabytes by now. This is, I mean, even just me, I, I got a $700 Radeon seven. That was really an afterthought that was barely launched for 700. And it was a special edition, you know, two years ago, almost three years ago. So no, wait. No, let me think. Uh, two I, years I, I, ago, I think. Two years ago, yeah. So, and, and now we're like, people are debating, well, is it okay to have the same price car be have 10 gigabytes? I don't think so. <laughs> I think this is weird. Yeah. I, no, you're kind of right. Uh, eight gigabytes uh, is, in my, it should kind of just be the minimum for a graphics card at this point. Like, even low end should probably have six to eight gigabytes. I I think at this point six gigabytes should be the sub should be around a hundred bucks and eight gigabytes should be the standard sub two hundred and I you know I, I again just the thing to tell people and to remind them is that this is not expensive people oh GDR prices are up if they're up they're like up a dollar a gigabyte guys <laughs> like G, like up it still affects their margins but you guys got to understand that GDR six is like five to seven dollars a gigabyte depending on like you know supply five to seven that's it. I mean, what, how old is GDR6? So there's really no excuse for high-end cards. So uh, GDR6, what, that's a few years old now? I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's not that expensive to produce. It's, but I know the exact amount. It's 5 to $7. But, <laughs> yeah, doubling the amount of RAM uh, gives them, what, probably a $100 markup over their 6-gigabyte variant. 
Laz writes in and says, I have a theory that AI in DLSS does not do much else other than act as a marketing tool. I think the performance uplift with DLSS in most circumstances comes not from machine learning, but simply from NVIDIA spending an excessive amount of engineering hours optimizing a setting for a few games. This This advertises not only their gaming products, but the machine learning that they say their cards can do as well. If I'm right, by the time DLSS 2.0 works on every game, the image quality will be much worse. However, by then, people will just assume the image quality is good and no one will bother checking, I bet. What do you think? I, I, I think that there's more to it than just saying it's all engineering hours, but I think that is half of it. And I think that's something people underemphasize is that it, to me, on paper, here's what we know about DLSS. They released it first. It didn't seem to work. And then it seemed to work in a few games after they put in a ton of effort. So from where I'm... And, and, and there's still some games where I... Even where, where people say it looks good. It, 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 I, what I've found testing it on my Turing card is... Like some games, it does look good. It really is. But also, it mostly is only good when you're not moving or in pictures. And when you start moving, artifacts pop up. Artifacts that I don't think enough text to... Not maybe not... But tech tubers and tech sites have acknowledged that it you'll just see more shimmering than if you turned it off. Yeah. Like I, I I still am not, it still just really isn't there in as many games as you'd think. And until they can just get it, and and so I do agree though, until they can get it working in like dozens and dozens of games and working in a way that's better than better than just not using it, you know, and using resolution scale with TAA. That I I think we should assume that half of it is that they just put a ton of effort optimizing a sharpening filter, basically. I I mean, yeah, like especially earlier iterations where, like, uh, what was it, Final Fantasy fifteen, which that just looked terrible <laughs> uh, with DLSS. Uh, but I guess you got better performance with it. Um, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if he's right because if he's right, I expect widespread implementation would. Sh- you would see a bunch of games have a shit vision ter- filter turned on when DLSS is enabled. Yeah. Crispy Bacon writes in and says, would you bet 20 bacon bits that mobile Zen three plus RDNA two will be more abundant than their, uh, respective predecessors. Um, so I mean, I would say when you say, what do you see more abundant? I think we've got to be clear about what you mean because a lot of people seem to think if they can buy it is the same as if it's abundant or not. The fact of the matter is AMD's producing as many Renoir chips as they can right now. They just can't keep up with demand. Um, And so do I think it'll be easy to get the Zen 3 laptops? I don't think it will be. I think it might be even harder. But when you say abundant, do you mean how many offerings there are? I bet there's more offerings from OEMs with them. There's more models to choose yeah, from, yeah. even if they're hard to get a hold of. So I would bet on that, but I I, I do think Saison's going to be very hard to get. Um, and, unless they just like double production relative to what Renoir was, which maybe they will. I, I do think it's still going to be very hard to get because they're competing with PlayStations and their own, a dozen yeah. of their own other products at TSMC, you know, unlike Intel, who just has so many of their own fabs that they can allocate to whatever they want. Yeah, and I, I wonder, I wonder if they would switch production to more laptop parts if they start breaking into laptops more. But that would be the only real scenario I would see them it being easier to get than Renoir. 
It's all guessing and checking, you know. We think the demand will be this much, so we bought this many wafers, often years ahead of time, just guessing, you know, really. And I I would say that if I was AMD, I would, you know, I would guess that we should allocate more for Saison. So I bet they are. If it's enough still, I don't know. I have my doubts. And now that uh, Intel's supply problems have been solved on 14 nanometer, you can bet that they will continue to probably pump out some Comet-like chips for bargain bin prices anytime they need. And and so they've got that. And and so, yeah, I I still think that uh, Intel will be easier to get a hold of than AMD, although there will probably be more offerings on the market to choose from. Yeah. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in and says, rumors are surfacing about the 5000 series APUs that the 4800U will become the 5700U. Do you got any info on this? And what do you think will happen throughout the stack? Uh, well, that actually gets us to story number four. So story number four, a flurry of AMD Saison info leaks much faster than Renoir. Quoting from Tech Power Up, with the launch of AMD's next generation mobile processors just around the corner, with an expected launch date in the beginning of 2021 at the CES virtual event, the Saison lineup, as it is being called, is based on AMD's latest Zen 3 cores, which brings mini IPC improvements along with better frequency scaling thanks to the refined architecture design. Today, we get to see just how much the new Saison generation brings to the table thanks to a Geekbench 5 submission in the test system. A Ryzen 5 5600H mobile processor was used, found inside a, I don't know how to say, Exomi Mi notebook paired with 16 gigabytes of RAM. The 5600H is a six-core, 1200 CPU, And so how did this six core perform? Well, in a single core test, the Zen 3 enabled core has scored 1372 points with a multi-threaded performance results were 5,713. If we compare that to the 4600H, the Zen Zen 2 predecessor, the new design is about 37% faster in single threaded and 14% faster in multi-threaded. We are waiting for the announcement. Um, And this is very exciting. And I also quote from video cards, that has another submission that shows the 4900H being 11% faster. I'm sorry, the 5900H, 25% faster in single core and 11% faster in multi-core than the 4900H. See, it looks like we're looking at an overall 20 to 30% performance uplift between Cezanne and Renoir. Dan, what do you think? (laughs) That's exciting. They're uh, sticking with the same number of cores and... There's a pretty damn good IPC uplift uh, for both Saison uh, processors. Yeah, and then it's also worth mentioning that there is Lucian, which is basically just rebranded Renoir along half of these product stack. But like, um, what was his, let me scroll up here. Like Daniel Vega Hyde points out, basically the new 5700U will probably be better than the old 4800U. So I mean... Yeah, the the upper end of Renoir's performance, I looked at the lineup on some of these articles, is about where the mid-range will now be. Yeah, so that's... (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's pretty good. And and let us remind everyone what that means. Uh, A big discussion point me and you had was how we were blown away that your Renoir-powered laptop was the processor is as good as your 2700X. Yes, I know one's Zen 2 and one's Zen Plus, but one's also you know, like a 35 watt instead of a 100 watt processor. (laughs) The fact that it's the same 
So now you're getting 2700X, which is only a little weaker than the 9900K performance in the mid-range of AMD's mobile. So even budget laptops will perform like top-end gaming processors from just a few years ago, which is to say, very, very good. <laughs> uh, I, and to go back to, I forgot whose question it was, but about the... Daniel Vega Hyde. Ba- no, about availability uh, of... Crispy bacon. Crispy. <laughs> um, hopefully they will be available because there's going to be a lot of good options for laptops next year than if there are, or this year, I guess. You know, and, and this would bring it to what a lot of people might ask. Oh, Tom, are you mad you bought your studio laptop when you did? Or Dan, are you? And it's like, I think I'll speak for both of us. I think we both feel like we got incredible deals. I mean, how much did you pay for your laptop? Uh, 930. Is you pay 900? I think it was an open box on Best Buy. Yeah, it was an open box. The thing didn't seem to have been used once. So I'm not sure why the box was open. (laughs) Okay, right. So let's be fair. You did get an insane deal. But nonetheless, it would normally have been, I think, about $1,000 or $1,100. And you were getting a GDR6 version. Or as people pointed out, I should probably say GDDR6 variant of a 1650, which if you undervolted and overclock it, which you have, it basically performs like a 1650 Ti. And actually, some lap it performs how the sixteen sixty Max Q does in some laptops, by the way, which is just hilarious. You know, you're getting that in an eight core for a thousand bucks. Yes, Saison will be better. Yes, eventually there will be you know thirty sixties in these laptops. But I don't think you feel like you've been slighted, nor do I, with my i seven and twenty sixty. I got with a four K OLED touchscreen and Optane storage. In my $1,400 laptop. I mean, we both got good deals, but the fact is, as we've already said in this episode, laptop deals are just good now, it seems. There's just so much. And I really do, and I want to say this, feel like the build quality of Dell and HP specifically has gotten to a point where it's almost Apple. And so that's where this is also coming from. Just the the competition in laptops means that, look, I don't say you wait for Saison. I say you try to get the best deal when you need to get a laptop because... They just keep getting better every year, like a lot better. And I, I don't, oh no, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And like the reason I bought my laptop when I did is because I thought I could get by with just a desktop uh, for this semester and see if I could get a better deal like next year or something. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized if I wanted to do that, I would have to be some days commuting between campus in my apartment like three times and <laughs> that would have sucked. <laughs> so yes, I'm glad I bought my laptop when I did. And the fact of the matter uh, is when uh, the stuff you're buying becomes obsolete in a year, that's how the market typically works. That's how it works when we got into PC gaming, you know, and it just feels like we're going back to that again. And that again, that 10 years of stagnation, people got to understand that's not how it worked the previous 10 years. That's not how it's going to work these 10 years. Yeah, and if you're going to feel jaded by the product, because not jaded, if you're going to feel screwed over because the product that you bought a year ago is significantly weaker than the product that comes out a year later, well, <laughs> you, you're just going to have to deal with it. Things are getting... Uh, the technology is accelerating right now way faster than it had for the past eight years. So yeah, your product is going to be obsolete a year after it comes out. That, does it still work? Are you still happy with it? If it does still work, I don't know why you would be mad. It just, to me, it feels like 
a lot of gamers that got into PC gaming, not in the 28 nanometer era, but in the 16 and 14 nanometer era, which a lot of people did because that's when the last, you know, that that's a lot of people got into PC gaming with Polaris and Pascal, that they have to come to terms with the fact that timing when you build is going to become less and less important. Yeah. You know, and, and I've said this, like, don't, buy a bunch of components ahead of time then wait two months for the graphics card buy everything at once and if you think oh well i should wait then then just ask yourself does what you have now do what you need it does it do what it needs to do can you wait six months and wait six months and buy everything at once do not do this thing where you're like stranding yourself waiting for some product to come in stock because we're we're not in the sandy bridge through haswell we're you know era anymore or the just incredibly long 16, 14 nanometer air where Pascal was like the standard for three years. Like this isn't about timing when you get a 1080 anymore. It's about maybe don't buy it unless you need it. If the prices are more than you want to pay, don't pay them and just buy everything at once and stop worrying about future proofing so much because we're back to the, we're back to the era of innovation. And this is what it's been like for most people over the past 30 years. Yeah, and just because stuff comes out that's substantially better than what you currently have, it doesn't mean that what you currently have doesn't still work for 99% of things. It's your your PC is still your PC and it still works fine. Well, I you know, I think it just comes from a lot of people. Did you buy your PC to do a job or did you buy it to feel cool on Reddit? You know, yeah. if you buy your PC to do a job, I bought my studio laptop for when I went to Nashville for a week and for when I'll probably be moving in a couple months where I don't want to have to. Frankly, it's not even about hauling my desktop around. It's pretty compact. It's about I don't want to risk losing or breaking it while traveling from place to place. (laughs) You know, I want to have another device so that if that were to break, it's not a $3,000 desktop with all my files on it, you know? Like yeah. I bought that to do a job it, to to have a certain level of gaming, which is to say almost next gen and to have a certain level of editing. That is, I can make any video I want, even if it's not as smooth as using my desktop. And that's what it does. I'm not going to regret. I didn't get it to feel like I got the coolest thing and it has to be the coolest thing for three years straight. I got it to do a job and it it does it. And And I just think, yeah, there's some people where, well, did you buy it to play these games right now? Or did you buy it to feel cool on the internet for three years? Because the days of having a 2700K that is the coolest thing to have for years, that's it's gone. And it never should yeah. have been like that. Yeah, you're just, you're not going to have the best thing for three years anymore. And, yeah. and sure, 10 years, five, 10 years from now, that'll probably be the case again. But that's not maybe. what it is anymore. Yeah, maybe, who knows? But that's not the case anymore. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in and says, you state that you think one of the reasons Renoir isn't available for desktop is that OEMs is uh, is because, and only for OEMs primarily, is because Renoir is limited to eight PCIe lanes. Well, I would want to point out the previous Ryzen APUs only uh, also only had eight PCIe lanes for graphics uh, and the others were used for the iGPU. So the difference between Renoir and the previous 12 nanometer APUs is that while they both had eight PCIe lanes uh, of 3.0, that's not the standard on desktop anymore. So before, if you got an APU, it only had eight lanes. Oh, well, this was also back when the strongest card was like a 2080 Ti, not when the strongest card was like 40% stronger than that, you know, and could really use the extra bandwidth. 
it would have helped a little bit back then, but not as much as it does now. And it was 3.0 to 3.0. Now you're comparing 16 lanes of PCIe 4.0 to eight lanes of PCIe 3.0. And if you put them in the same lineup, I just think it looks silly. And I, I assume that has to have been a calculus for AMD. Although it is worth pointing out again that AMD can't make enough Renoir for OEM. So they just never bothered to launch it on Newegg for do-it-yourself because they never would have had any supply. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure there is a market for it. I do just wonder how big the market for uh, what they have with Renoir on the DIY market is, though. I'm sure some people would buy it, but if they're selling them all to OEMs. I know it's impressive, but I, I really do think it's worth pointing out that Renoir's graphics are only impressive because it doesn't have competition until now yeah. with Tiger Lake. That it was still just eight compute units that really, if you want to talk about relative performance to what previous some previous APUs were capable of, it should have had 20 for compute units, right? It, it really was a very small section of the die for the graphics, clocked fast. Whereas if they really intended this to take up the low end on desktop, I think it would have been bigger. They sell it to OEMs because that's a large business and they didn't put it to do it yourself because that's, that's, you know, it's not really where it needs to be, right? Yeah, and if they sold a 24 compute unit, if there was a 24 compute unit, uh, Renoir, whatever, I think. Whatever it's going to be, probably, yeah. like Rembrandt or whatever. Yeah, I think there would definitely be demand in the do-it-yourself market for that. Because that, I mean, 24 compute units, that's a serviceable gaming graphics card at that point. Well, and so I guess what I'm saying is I, it, it's kind of just some input from myself pointing out that it has not half the bandwidth because, again, we're comparing yeah, yeah. PCIe 4.0 to 3.0 now. It's like a fourth the bandwidth of what a standard desktop processor has. That's just a thing to point out. It, most of the reason it's not on do-it-yourself is the supply. Yeah, yeah. VI Pass writes in and says, do you know if the AM4 platform will be used for future chips after the third generation? I'm wondering if B550, X570 motherboards will have longer life after the 5000 series is out, or is that the end? Um, I, I, I've honestly, I've heard mixed things from sources. I've heard Zen 3 Plus could be on either AM5 or AM4. Um, and so that's all I can say is that I think, and, and some people I've talked to all agree that it makes a boatload of sense for them to launch early before Alder Lake, mid next year with some sort of, um, IO die. That's kind of a bridge. You know, mm-hmm. It would make sense to launch on AM5, I think, with a the Iodine and Zen 4 and then kind of working out the bugs in the new platform before they launch Zen 4 and then also to head off Alder Lake. At the same time, I've also heard it might just be on AM4. So um, I would say it could be, but that I wouldn't buy into the platform because I'm hoping to upgrade to some five nanometer Zen three plus or even seven nanometer Zen three plus, although you might be able to. I, and at the end of the day, I, I don't think um, uh, at the end of the yeah, at the end of the day, I don't I think if you're going to buy Zen three now, it's because it's the best lineup on the market. I, it's, I think and I think the amount of times you actually upgrade is pretty niche. I think it's pretty rare that most people upgrade. I think most people get a motherboard in a processor and then don't touch it for six years. You know, I, I, I yeah, think. I. It's been nice that we didn't need to do that recently, but I, you know, it's nice. And, uh, but I do 
I do kind of think the idea of a <laughs> upgrading your processor with the same motherboard, that's like a thing people think they're going to do, like you said, and no one does it. And I think Zen 3, I think Zen 3 is the last time they use AM4. I mean, or Zen 3 Plus, but that's just going to be a semi-refresh of Zen 3 anyways. Um, Probably like 10% better or something, maybe with a few new features. Yeah, I I don't think you buy, get an X570 motherboard because you think you're going to be able to get Zen 4 or Zen 5 on it, though. Yeah, I, I would just get it because that's the best right now. <laughs> yeah, and if you want your to get a CPU right now, like you said, you're, most people keep it for, I don't know, four to six years. Are you really going to want Zen 5 anyways? I think you'll be ha- perfectly happy with your Zen 3 CPU for at least a few years. B. Cannon 2000 writes in and says, we know that AMD Ryzen Infinity Fabric Speed is directly influenced by RAM speed, or at least what it can clock to. What do you think about the new AM5 platform with its increased DDR5 speeds, presumably uh, on AM5? Will it have a significant effect on Ryzen's performance? And actually, I am starting to put together some Zen 4 info, just so everybody knows. Um, although the majority mm-hmm. of it was in a leak at the beginning, I believe, or in the first quarter, was it maybe in May? I don't know. First half of 2020, uh, uh, 20, 20. <laughs> yes. So that's still out there. And that's where you'll see that I confirmed higher core counts, you know, new AVX um, instruction sets, uh, uh, some type of advanced packaging, all of that. That's most of what you need to know about Zen 4. And then, of course, I confirmed DDR5 and PCIe 5.0 as well. Um, what I would say, though, about specific, you know, performance uh, predictions from different components is I just don't think it's worth speculating on. I think a lot of people assumed that, you know, oh, with Zen 3, it's going to have all this IPC because the Infinity Fabrics clocked so much faster. A uh, no, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just in, you know, a, a unified cache. And that's where it comes from. And that we should, how do we even know that they'll do the same sort, there will be the same settings as for Zen 4's Infinity Cache? Maybe we won't even be able to touch those clocks. Or maybe they will be clocked twice twice as fast. You mean on favorite? It's a new architecture. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. It's possibly 3D stacked with an entirely different organization. I, I don't know that we should assume Infinity Cache overclocking will even be the same. You mean fabric, uh, yeah, right? Infinity, infinity fabric overclocking will even be the same thing. Factor. You know, we don't know yet how important that is to Zen 4 or how they solved, you know, moving data on that new architecture. It, I would presume it will still have it, probably. And yes, faster equal better. But I think it's too early to really speculate on that because we just, there's just so, there's just so many things like this type, this type of a detail we don't know yet. And so it's not really worth talking about, I don't think. Yeah, I, I mean, we really just don't know what Zen 4 is yet. So, <laughs> But yeah, but that's why it's like, I, I brought up this reader mail, though, because I think it's worth pointing out that when you ask a specific question, like if you're like, do you, like if you were to ask, do you think NVIDIA Lovelace um, will get like more performance from like GDR7 or like from this type of a tweaking method? And, you know, like I overclocked Ampere memory with this timing do you think this will work on it's like we don't even know what memory they're going to use on lovelace or you know like we don't even know what will affect its performance yet yeah <laughs> i can tell you like core counts i can tell you 
platform features like PCIe 5.0, but like how to get more performance out of specific types of overclocking? Too early, guys. I, we, we really won't even know that until, not, not even when it's announced, we won't really know that until people that are into doing this report on it after Zen 4 comes out, probably. Yeah. All right, Dead of Night writes in and says, do you think NVIDIA has any CPU plans after the ARM acquisition? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pro- probably. And people who know Jensen, like it's not like I've talked to anyone like in, in upper management NVIDIA anytime recently, but like people who know them, it's like, that we shouldn't rule out that NVIDIA won't just make their own processors for specific products that they might actually make it for do-it-yourself just because... Well, I don't want to get to it. There's some interesting things I've heard about Jensen's personality, let's just say. <laughs> and that, you sh- that in fact, even though it sounds, some people would say there's no way they're just going to try to compete with Intel and Ryzen. It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they will. That leather jacket gives you a lot of confidence. They might. <laughs> Which, yeah. hey, that would be cool, I think. And that leather jacket holds a lot of power, so who yeah. knows what he can do. More power than a 500-watt EVGA 3080. (laughs) Well, it's the holiday season, and you know what that means. Lots of travel for this holiday season, and hopefully for a more open 2021. I bought a studio laptop for mobile editing, and of course... Well, it didn't come with an open license of Microsoft Office, and those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description okay story number five amd ryzen threadripper 5000 series genesis peak processor lineup could begin with a 16 core model and i quote from tech power up amd is set to introduce its next generation Ryzen Threadripper processors in the coming weeks, according to rumors. These rumors suggest that it may, in fact, happen at this year's CES. The new Ryzen Threadripper platform is codenamed Genesis Peak. If we take a look at the current 3000 series Castle Peak Threadripper processors, they were launched at CES 2020 with availability in February, so this would make a lot of sense. So we're assuming, though, anyways, that the upcoming 5000 Genesis Peak is going to launch at the Verge. So I guess they're assuming, though. So again, I wouldn't assume it will. I think it's likely, but I wouldn't assume yet because they have basically no competition in HDT right now. They just launched the almost Lenovo exclusive 64 core, was it eight channel Threadrippers, yeah, yeah. I believe is what it was. Yeah. So, but yeah, so thanks to Yuri One Usman Bubbly, AMD is going to start the next generation Threadripper line with the 16 core, he alleges. And I guess that all I'm saying is, well, we can speculate if it will be shown at CES or not which is up to AMD, uh, especially now that they just control the HEDT market, it seems. Um, well, I shouldn't say control, but in the do-it-yourself part of it, they seem to just have yeah. like no competition, relatively speaking. Um, that launching with a 16-core is interesting, though, and I think, I think it would make a lot of sense. They tend to, you know, I, I think this is a place that, this is a product a lot of people were hoping would exist in Zen 2 Threadripper that never did that 
would be kind of something they could fill with Zen 3 to make a big splash, you know, and especially with the, what is it, the 8-core, I'm sorry, 16-core Zen 3 on AM4 starting at 800, they could easily just say, well, this one's 900, or, and then that'd be the same price as the 16-core was with Zen Plus, by the way. So, yeah, I, I guess all I'm saying is this is worth reporting on. This is something I was hoping existed with Zen 2, but uh, and that this just wouldn't surprise me at all if AMD did this. Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting that they're going down from their core counts, but there did seem to be a general, if I'm remembering from last year, there was seemed to be a general disappointment that there wasn't a 16 core in the Zen 2 lineup. Well, there in the was Thread Ripper lineup. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was not. But I think that's one reason AMD didn't bother with it is because they just had taken such a commanding performance lead that they knew that they they had the justification to go. You know what? If you want Thread Ripper, get the twenty four core. Buy the twenty four core, you peasant. Like that's what that's what AMD's stance was, and they. I think they also knew that the sixteen core and AM four was getting a lot of the limelight. So let's not launch two of them right now. But now, now I can see why they would do this to try to finally make it let's be honest they milk the people who had the money to buy a 24 core if no one's bought one yet they're not going to and they're like now let's bring in the cheaper option finally Eh, yeah that's a good point you know that's usually how this works that's why you know you know nvidia launches the 3080 and the 3090 first the people desperate for a new graphics card will pay up so let's just launch those yeah (laughs) all right story number six Rocket Lake reconfirmed evidence once again suggests a slight lead in single core over Zen 3 and a release in March of this year. Quoting from Tech Power Up, Intel's Rocket Lake S platform is scheduled to arrive at the beginning of 2021, which is right now. The Rocket Lake lineup of processors is going to be Intel's 11th generation of core desktop CPUs. And the platform is expected to make a debut with Intel's newest Cypress Cove core design, first leaked by Moore's Law's Dead, of course. Thanks to Geekbench 5 submissions, we have the latest information about the performance of the upcoming Intel Core i7, 11700K, 8-core, 16-thread. So yeah, again, more evidence. Also, let me point out to everyone that the i7 and I, the top i7 and the i9s in Cypress Cove, Rocket Lake, will, they'll all be 8-core, 16-thread. Some will just be clocked faster. Um, but based on these leaked benchmarks, the CPU is allegedly bringing a double-digit IPC increase, and so that lines up with what Intel's reported. In the single-core results, the CPU managed to score 1,807 points with a multi-core is 10,673. The CPU ran at a base clock of 3.6, boosting to a fixed 5 gigahertz. And compared to the previous, uh, let's see, so yeah, so the previous one got 1,349 single-core and 8,973 multi-core. So yeah, it, it scored quite a bit higher, but at the end of the day, it was still, let's see, the 5950X is 7.5% slower in this benchmark in single core, but crushes okay. it in multi-core. And then Tom's Hardware also did a roundup of Chippel's benchmarking, which Chippel has an engineering sample. And they found that in Cinebench, locked at 4 gigahertz, the 5800X, let's see, I think it loses by like 5% to 10% in single core, but it wins in multi-core in 8% at the same clocks. So that's something I wanted to... I People will remember that I've been saying for over a, for a couple months now, yes, Rocket Lake is likely to win single thread, not single core, there's two threads per core, single thread performance over Zen 3, but that we should not assume it will win multi core if you do core for core that 
Obviously, Zen 2 brought some incredible enhancements to distributing um, distributing loads across all of its threads. And that just because Intel wins with one thread active does not mean it will win 8-core to 8-core. It does yeah, not mean yeah. that. And thus, you should not assume it's even going to win in gaming, guys. I, uh, yeah, that's true. I, because I, if it boosts one thread, right, if one thread is used and it boosts to five gigahertz, how do we know that when four threads are active, it's not boosting to four? Like, yeah, how do we true. not know that this architecture doesn't use an excessive amount of heat if it uses more than one thread, which kind of looks like uh, it does based on what I'm told. <laughs> and based on all of Intel's previous architectures for the past four years. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is kind of exactly what we, what I thought it would be. It would meagerly beat uh, AMD and single-threaded performance and lose, obviously lose multi-threaded performance because <laughs> there's far fewer threads and it's even losing uh, with the same amount of threads. Yeah, and so I guess to summarize, uh, based on these latest leaks, I just go back to uh, everything I said in my Cypress Cove leak in June, I expect this to win in some games, but no one should assume it's going to be like a big win in gaming. I really kind of, I think there will be some games where it probably has a decent win, but I think on average, it's going to be almost a wash that really, really Rocket Lake will only make sense at the right price and that the i9 will probably not make any sense. But maybe this eight core 16 thread i7 if it's like 350, if it's like a hundred dollars cheaper than the 5800X and a few percent stronger in gaming and supports PCIe 4.0, I can see recommending that actually in most gaming builds. If if that is what it is, but if it's over 400, get bent. If it can't even win on average in gaming, and it you know, then I'm not gonna re- then no. But that's what it would take, and maybe it will be that. Well, what was the uh, 10700K's uh, MSRP? Oh, I, I think it was like 500 something, but it usually sold for over 600. You could have got one for about 500. No, Some the, people did. The uh, i7, 10700K. Oh, 400 or less, mostly. Okay. Again, so, all of these MSRPs yeah, yeah. is usually under 400. So I, I could see them maybe trying to sell it for 350, uh, probably closer to 400. But if they sell it for 350, I think there's a place for the 10700K. I don't know how they'll justify the existence of the i9, but. Well, uh, you know, it's almost like the 3090, though. They might as well charge whatever they want because some people just want to buy the best. So they might as well. Yeah, that's true. Even though it's not it's the best not the in best. Intel's case. So it's completely bonkers to me anyone buys them anymore. But you know what? That's just me. I don't buy worse things for more. Some people seem to. <laughs> crazy me. That Damn is boy for suggesting crazy, you don't buy worse things for more money. Tom. Tom, you need to stop with this BS propaganda. Mm -hmm. Buy, spend more money for a worse thing. That's because it says Intel on the box. Yeah, yeah, that comes with a cool sticker and no cooler. (laughs) That that sticker's worth more than the cooler, Tom. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's true. I do. I did like my old shiny i7 stickers. To be fair, I I do do like like my stickers. stickers. Yes, I I like my stickers too. But I think Ryzen, let me look at my case here. The Ryzen sticker is now shiny as well. AMD's stickers used to not be as shiny, but they've kind of met Intel and shiny performance at this point. So I think that's really a tie now too. What, are you going to sell a fucking bulldozer (laughs) with a shiny sticker? No, that doesn't (laughs) deserve a shiny sticker, Tom. 
Um, I guess the last thing I will say about Cypress Cove, though, is MSI confirmed a launch in March. Okay. So seemingly confirmed. You know, it's really not confirmed until it's confirmed. But MSI says it's coming out in March. And again, let me point this out. People will be good to go watch my Cypress Cove leak. And there will be a link in the description in June stating quarter one and a quarter one launch. <laughs> <laughs> and the exact performance in platform I'm talking about today. Yeah, just, just got to so, point it out when people yell at me about things like that. You're also noting that literally everything about this is correct. So you pre-pre-confirmed it is what you're saying. Yeah. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in again. You got a lot of Daniel Vega Hydes here I'm noticing on this episode. He goes, if Intel hadn't introduced the i9 as you've suggested on multiple occasions that they shouldn't have, you know, and I've said that they should have just kept it the i7 and been honest. Like, said, like, uh, if you honestly ask me, I think they shouldn't have launched the 8700K as quickly as they did, that they should have waited a few months and launched the 9900K at the same time. But it should have been called the i7, like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, 8900, 87, 8800K, whatever you call it. 8086K, should have just called it that. And then there should have been an i5 with six cores and 12 threads from the start and that all this jumping around and throwing i9 on top of everything means again right like my argument is when you have an eight core i9 and a 22 core i9 i9 means nothing yeah and when everything below an i9 is not worth buying yeah pretty much it yeah so but he goes on how do you think amd would have named the ryzen stack if they didn't do this i personally think nine would have been seven no, I, I think AMD would have still called it an R9. And, yeah. and I think it, it comes from the point of they, they can't call it an R7 for the same argument I made that Intel made a mistake. You can't, you can't have the 16-core Horizon 7 and the 8-core Horizon 7. It's double, like, you know, it doesn't really yeah. make that much sense to me. Yeah, and, and I think just from a branding perspective, uh, that well, that's what the choice Intel clearly went with too, was AMD didn't probably would have just gone with a nine because it's bigger than a seven. Honestly, that, that, uh, that's that, why AMD did. It's because it's bigger than seven, and they did that with the uh, a. They they did they've done this a long time. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> they've they have a long history, even in the bulldozer days, of just like adding two to a number and thinking it's more than an, an i seven. I don't know how often people fall for that, but I, I bet even subliminally it helps them a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's like the making everything 99 cents does that does that uh, make people buy products more i don't know probably subliminally maybe one more person buys it or something more than one the, one the more person out of 20 percent more yeah. but um so let me i guess the, the last thing i'll say about this whole i9 thing my point about the i9 branding mistake really isn't that they should have never used it there were rumors of intel using an i9 for the name of something all the way back with gulf town with the six core you know 45 nanometer product mm. there were rumors back then all the way eight ten ten years ago of them calling their first you know HEDT six cores an i9 instead of the quad core i7 and that i think you know 50 percent more cores it may have made sense back then actually but what they didn't and the point of that video i made is the fact that they didn't call their first you know six core on 12 thread on desktop and i9 means that they were always just saving it as a marketing name that yeah you know it, and that it they really it's and that they should have they should have saved it for when they launched you know like their first 14 and 16 cores on HEDT. Because again, I think that's fair to call an i9. I think the i, 
because it's about segments. I7 is usually best consumer, and then you could have reserved I9 for just mind-blowingly more, which it just doesn't mean that. No, and, and like you say, like when certain products, certain I9s go from 10 to like 22 cores in the same product. And now it's lineup. eight cores again. And now, and now in a new launch, their i9 is going to have fewer cores than their previous i9. What the fuck are you doing? Because no, no, no one knows. It, uh, sure, it'll have better single threaded performance than your last i9. But I bet the um, 10900K will be better multi threaded than Rocket Lake. Or yeah, it probably will be, won't it? Yes, yes. I'm told it'll probably that Comet Lake will edge out Rocket Lake and multi threaded. So most likely with the 10 cores, or at least be a wash. So with the uh, 11900K release, the i9 brand will be completely dead and bastardized. Which, you know, that was the la- one of the last big videos I did in 2019. It was, I think it's called Core i9 Branding, The Death of Intel's Prestige. Maybe I'll put a link in the description if I remember. But you guys mm-hmm. can look that up where I just kind of go through the history of Intel's naming and how right when they pulled out i9, they kind of killed what was a very prestigious marketing branding scheme they had in i7. You know, I have an i7 means nothing anymore. And it used to mean something. And it's unfortunate because I think it was legitimately a good naming scheme, easy to follow. And now it's just, I don't even know what they're selling anymore. Yeah. And I, maybe it still works for the people that are less informed. Like they see, oh, an i9 in my laptop. I have a cool i9, but I don't know. Well, the fact that AMD can't keep Renoir in stock suggests that it's not that simple for most consumers anymore. Yeah. Um, But anyways, moving on. So moving away from the computer side to just, let me see, a couple final stories here. Story number seven, Sony reportedly shipped 3.4 million PlayStation 5 units in four weeks. Shipments reached 16 to 18 million units in 2021. I'd say at least that much. So quoting from WCCF, the 3.4 million figure does fall in line with reports from earlier this year revealing that Sony is planning to ship 10 million PS5s before March 2021. And actually, guys, based on what I've heard, they may ship more than 11, maybe 15 million by then. Um, The Japanese company originally planned to ship between 5 to 6 million units by March, but the increased demand made Sony change its plans, which they did that months ago. And they bought more supply um, from TSMC. So, yeah, and, and and the reason I put this here isn't actually to talk about the PlayStation 5. It's just to kind of, I, again, uh, uh, we keep saying this, you know, like it's beating a dead horse, but like put put a nail in this coffin of just talking about a va- like why it's hard to get a hold of products. You know, yeah, I just see a lot of tech tubers throwing out they have these sources about what's being shipped. Oh, no, I have more sources. Oh, I have sources. It's like, well, whatever. I mean, like I know, you know, like a lot of my sources for availability are the same guys, by the way, that told me everything about RDNA 2. So, and the God of War leak actually is one of those sources too, by the way, guys. So, you know, it's not like these are different sources telling me availability. Like I'm telling you, AMD is shipping a lot of big Navi cards. And by now, NVIDIA is finally shipping a lot of at least GA 104 and 3090s. But that people seem to just argue because they can't get a hold of a graphics card. I must be lying. I'm not. But what you can't argue with is public figures that are and at least we have this from Sony as a comparison point that basically by now Sony's shipping almost two to one what the PS4 was in the same amount of time. So you guys can argue, like at the end of the day, gaming's gaming. People are buying twice as many PlayStation 5s and yet 
And yet there's no stock. And yet it's hard to get a hold of them. If there's not no stock, you, you can if you try, but it's hard to get a hold of them. It's demand at this point, guys. It's not that AMD isn't making big Navi. They are. That's why I keep reporting it because I'm sure my sources, despite other people seemingly pretending to have sources, but you, you can't argue with the console information. Double the production, at least. And still, it's hard to get a hold of it. Demand is up. It is demand. It is not that AMD isn't manufacturing Big Navi. It is not at this point that NVIDIA, it's not Samsung's yields. It's not that Sony didn't plan ahead. And also, by the way, the Xbox is outselling the Xbox One by a significant margin as well. It's demand, guys. It is demand. (laughs) Yeah, and um, I I, I read uh, some articles on this too. So I think they're expecting to ship 18 million PS5s in 2021, which to compare to the PS4, they shipped uh, less than... I think they shipped like 14.8 by the end of that year. I think so, 18 million is probably a conservative estimate at this point. Yeah, unless they literally can't produce more, which I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But <laughs> like we I, say, I, they planned ahead, right? <laughs> either way, though, um, a year in the expected no- number of consoles that they will have sold by the end of 21 is about 20% more than what the PS4 sold in that same time span. So. The supply is there. It's higher than what it was last generation. And early demand is through the roof. I'm curious if that demand, I doubt, will be carry out through all next year. But I don't know. Maybe it will. I I, I would say I expect it to certainly continue for the rest of the winter. Yeah. And again, like this kind of just tangentially brings me, forces me to bring up like the Metal Gear Solid League. Like they haven't shown Metal Gear Solid yet. Because they can't keep these things in stores. <laughs> like, uh, guys, I, I'm sure of my Metal Gear Solid leak. They just didn't reveal it at the VGAs. Oh, well. Same with Silent Hills. And yeah. I, I, I think you can expect that once there's a month of you relatively being able to get a hold of these products, that that's when Sony says, hey, guess what? Also, this is coming out this year or whatever you know like although we shouldn't assume that just because i've heard it comes out next year it will like they could just push to 2022 which is what i said in the original leak anyways too but you know that that there's really no reason for any of these companies to announce new software until they can meet demand there just isn't they're not competing with anyone except store shelves that's they're not microsoft and sony aren't competing with each other yet they're competing with demand (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah people are buying them in droves there's no need to show anything four months probably i don't know when demand when uh it's going to be relatively easy to get a ps5 i mean my guess would probably be like march but and and i i think if i'm correct if i had to guess when, when you say relatively easy that doesn't necessarily mean you can find it everywhere but like if you really wanted one that night some store online probably has one every week without having to like wake up at 2 a.m. on bestbuy.com or something. Yeah, I'm not saying you can go to best buy. In, yeah. I'm not That's saying you can go to bestbuy.com and you'll just be able to get a PS5. I, I or walk honestly, into a store. I mean, like, I don't think you're going to see these on store shelves reliably till the end of next year. And then yeah, that's th- there was a new true. holiday season. So who knows? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, but if you try to get something, you'll probably be able to get it. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it was not as easy. Or I don't know. How hard was the PS4 to get? It, we got it pretty easily. But 
I don't know. It was hard to get for months. Every electronic Everything visit is, launch. Yeah. It's hard to compare, relatively speaking. The demand wasn't like this, though, I don't think. Well, the numbers show. I, it I mean, like, let's put it this way. The PS4 was a $400 console. It sold used on eBay, if I remember, for like seven to 800 Now it's yeah. selling for 1400 So <laughs> that tells you right there, right? And that's the other example I bring up when it comes to people arguing, are they making these products? Yes, they are, guys. They are shipping hundreds of thousands of big Navi. You can tell it's hard. It's due to demand. When you see 3060s selling three years old used for 400 <laughs> can't even get a 2060 used for below MSRP. That's why it's demand. And do they exist? I don't know. I now know multiple people with PS5s, so... Yeah. Blokes writes in and says, Sony is now a cuck next to the Xbox Chads because of emulation. (laughs) Which, in his link, he shows that you can run PS2 emulators on an Xbox Series console. To which all I have to say, Blokes, is, yeah, stupid. I don't know why Sony doesn't have at least... Like, Let's agree on this, Dan. At least PS1 and PS2 backwards compatibility added. I get that the I get that the PS3 is a nightmare. So who knows? I still don't buy into any arguments. They can totally emulate that on there. Come on, guys. Yeah, I, I agree. But uh, okay, the the PS3 was a nightmare to program for, but PS1 and PS2, like my like half my fucking phone could emulate a PS2. Probably, <laughs> I don't know what's going on at this point. If you look at it, though, I think you have already found that some programs that you can download on PS4, that basically the PS4 just had a PS2 emulator. It did, but they only let you use it on the games they remastered on some of them, which is weird. And I know people have pointed out there's no web browser on PS5 officially yet. But if I click on some links in games, it pulls up a web browser. By the way, Dan, fully functioning with like, stuff you just can't get to it unless there's like a guide in a game you click on so what i'm saying is there is a web browser in the ps5 they just haven't made it official there is a ps2 and ps1 emulator for sure somewhere in that os they just haven't made it official and i don't know why they're stupid i guess that's what i would say to blokes yeah i it's easy it it should be easy for them to do and they should do it so point taken, blokes. I, I, it is. Although, hopefully things like this make Sony realize how dumb they're acting, kind of walling these things off because it's like, dude, now you can play a PS2 game on an Xbox, but not on a PS... I mean, come on. And what's the... Well, I guess the point is they make $5, but... <laughs> then put them on the store. They're, yeah. It's, it's kind of like those things where it's like, well, I didn't pay for this TV show, but also it's not on literally any streaming service anymore, nor can I find... Like, it's like, well, then f- pirate it. I don't know. And it's like the PS2s are, I know they sold a lot of PS2s, but they're getting rarer because they're not making new ones and a lot break every year, I'm sure. It would be cool if you could put in a PS2 disc as well. It would be. I'm sure you could. I'm sure. it. I don't know. It's just, it's just a matter of focus from what, one source I talked to about the stuff. He's just like, well, they're just literally not focusing on it. Like that they don't have 100,000 people at their come. Well, actually, they might. <laughs> actually, they have quite a few people at Sony, so I don't know why they're not. But they're just literally choosing to not do this project and that hopefully competition will make them consider it. Yeah. All right. Story number eight. Cyberpunk 2077 launches to unprecedented controversy in a year of controversial gaming launches. Now, I didn't summarize anything. And to be entirely honest, I don't know how much time we need to spend on this anymore because we ended up talking about it on Loose Ends quite extensively for like 20 or 30 minutes. But 
I guess I do want to bring it up here because I'm sure there's plenty of people that just listen to Broken Silicon don't watch Loose Ends, right? Yeah. And so, like, Loose Ends really is for a specific part of our fan base, I would argue. Um, and and so I, I thought it was worth having a discussion here. Like, I, I have I have multiple links in the description, and I I, I guess here's what I want to say: the spiel, like, more organized, less ranty than it was in the you know, off the cuff thing I said, things I said on loose ends. And that's, look, at the end of the day, the problem with the cyberpunk launch is that they knew it didn't work. They hit it didn't work. And they planned ahead of time to beg for forgiveness afterwards. It's not like some games where they launch it, they, your servers crashed and they apologize. And they're like, we're trying to get the servers up and running. They knew exactly how badly they made the game and printed that they knew how bad it ran. They knew. And yet they hit it. And they just said, Hey, maybe if we beg for forgiveness, people will forgive us. Let's just try to get the money. That's the problem. It's that they knew ahead of time. It didn't work. And they still hit it and just thought, saying sorry would be be enough to make up for it. And then at the same time, reviewers, for me, this is a, actually most of it, is that reviewers actually accepted not capturing footage of the game and gave it a nine, but it just straight up didn't work on half of their platforms. If I was a reviewer, you send me a product, it runs like shit, and then you say, by the way, you can't show the product in your review, I would say, well, then I guess I'm breaking the embargo and I'm going to say bad things. But reviewers failed to do their jobs. CD Projekt, lied to the community and there's a significant part of the community that's defending them and that just bugs me so much because guys they lied to you and they fucked you over to get money and if you keep defending companies that do this more companies will do this to you that's the problem and if you look online like most of the defenders at this point are people that are, are like, well, it works great on PC. It does not. Thank I have God a benchmark my... up. It's running at 30 frames on a $2,000 fucking graphics card. It runs like shit. It doesn't look better than other games getting triple the frame rates. Yeah, and uh, you see like people are just, they have, they either have diluted themselves into thinking it's performing better than it is or they're just straight up lying. Like I see saw people saying that they were getting like 60 plus frames per second at 14, some settings. Yeah, with like ultra settings with a 1070. And every game site that's benchmarked it, that gets like 30 to 40 frames per second. It's it's performs poorly on PC. Up until like last week, they game cra- the game corrupted the save file if it got over eight megabytes. <laughs> they had, it uh, wasn't even PC, just performance. On, it was killing your saves. On PC, the God system for Cyberpunk 2077. They lied to consumers um, about the atrocious performance and bugs on console. That yeah, you're right. They were they were uh, worse on console than on PC. Congrats! One we got we got one PC master race. One game that finally works terribly on console that we can dunk on console gamers for for some reason. Yeah, IGN gave it gave a uh, Cyberpunk 2077 on PS4. A four out of ten, like a week and a half after the game came out, they should That's have unacceptable. Given, they should have yeah. given it a four out of ten the day it came out. Yeah, and 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 and, the, and again, like as I said, I think in loose ends eventually. This is not about like wishing bad things on CD Projekt. This is just me saying: Can we acknowledge that this? I mean, again, like if this is allowed to keep happening, this is how gaming will just be. 
if this is what you guys want out of your future games. Like, can you imagine if this was an EA game, the amount of shit they would get? Or, or, and then, and then also, like, kind of on a similar subject, do you think EA and Ubisoft are not watching this and going, oh, if we just play this right, we can fuck them over as many times as they want and they'll defend us so they don't feel stupid for buying something that didn't work? I mean, I don't know. Um, video games are for escapism and playing pretend. And now it seems that people want to play pretend to play pretend and act like they got a thing that works well. So I don't know what we want at this point. It seems like people are just fine getting screwed over because, I don't know, they wanted this game for three years and God help them, they're going to pretend that this game is good when it's not. And you know what? I know it sucks. This was like what you're saying. This was a game people held up. This, you know, this year sucked, but at least this game's coming out. It didn't. Sorry. It comes and it shouldn't have, by the way. It should have been delayed. Frankly, it should have probably been delayed for three months just on PC and then come out next fall on console or something. It should have probably never been on the last gen consoles. But yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 comes out May or June this year, probably. It didn't yeah. come out. It didn't 2021, come out, yeah. It didn't come out on December 10th. Not not in my eyes, because I I just have standards that aren't a $2,000 graphics card running a game that looks no better than other single-player games I have, especially some of the newer ones. It doesn't look better. It does not look better than other games I have that run triple the frame rate, guys. It doesn't look better. No. I, I mean, I don't know how... Like The, it, the AI isn't worse. better than other open-world games. It's dumber. I've seen a lot of people doing compilation videos of AI just making the dumbest decisions. There's no excuse for their performance, guys. And this, this is a funny thing that's now been circulating around Reddit that I've seen is the child character models are literally just adults shrunken down, which I think is hilarious. Really? <laughs> Let me look at this. Um, but yeah, it, the, I, the idea of the game, the concept, it sounds cool. I'll get it when it works. I, I don't know what else to say. And I think everybody else should be doing that. Because buying, oh, you're right? And- They're like, li- <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. I just pulled up an article showing that the kids and the kids in Cyberpunk. What the- it almost looks like the equivalent of what the tanks look like in Borderlands. <laughs> <What's this? laughs> they are just shrunken. It's like big head mode was turned on and they made them smaller. <laughs> yeah, but uh- the game wasn't done, guys. And 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 I want to say this too. The one thing that has annoyed me that I'm starting to see is uh, some people now, they're like the first day, everyone just gives it an eights to tens, you know, like mostly nines and above. And then like a week later, all of a sudden, these same websites are like saying all of these missions aren't good. Oh, no, no, no. It's about the performance and the line to the consumers. From what I've seen, if the game is fixed, it looks like a good game. And this really annoys me when people start just shitting on something for everything else. No, no, no. Like, it's not, I'll, I'll, you know, like maybe I'll change my mind if I play it more, but I don't think it's, it's not about the missions. Like, let's not open the floodgates to people just having a shit fest. That's not my intention. Yeah. My point is, I just, Guys, if this is allowed to happen, okay, then this is like a world where no one should buy any new games ever. And this is, it's just ridiculous. And again, they knew what they were selling. They knew it didn't work and they still gave it to you. 
they made their money. And it bothers me because I felt like earlier in the generation, or maybe it was even at the end of the PS3 generation, game critics started uh, taking off points when games were really buggy. It was like, yeah, if this game And that's worked, good. They should. Yeah, if this game would be like, yeah, that, the movie was really good, but the camera just turns, the screen just turns black uh, randomly throughout the movie. And it's not a good movie. Right. <laughs> Which is another thing I've heard people starting to point out is like, what other industry is this acceptable where you can make like they uh, eight million pre-orders or whatever it was like that you can just make like half a billion dollars before anything's even given to the consumer and then it's given and it isn't what they bought and some people defend them. This is like is this is like the biggest like just like fuck me over as much as you want fan base I've seen in, 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 in my lifetime. This is unprecedented. What other industry can you get away with just 8 million things sold? They don't even work. And then some people defend you like, Oh my God, that's not going to yeah. foster a healthy gaming market guys. I'm just, saying. I mean, I don't know how many people returned cyberpunk 2077, but I hope it was a lot. I, I, well, you know, it's yeah, and there's other links in the description. And again, I don't want this to turn into just hating on CD Projekt, which a lot of people are doing now. And it's like, no, no, no. You had problems with CD Projekt. You could have said it before this. This is about lying to consumers. And for me, reviewers showing they're useless now. <laughs> Holy shit. The review, like, my, what a worthless set of reviewers I've seen recently, you know? I, I, yeah. Like, not just straight up not doing their jobs. Like, and the problem I, is, I, I, I don't know. You're you're damaging a relationship with one company that makes a game every four years. They need you. CD Projekt Red needs you more than you need them, game reviewers. Yeah, only if we decide that's true. If everyone just decides to roll over and, you know, as blokes would say, be a cuck for CD Projekt. That's what it is. Tick Dickler writes in and says, Hi again, Tom and Dan. Thanks for the prior answer. Well, I mean, that's why you're a patron to be part of the community. He goes, so I just started Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and I set it the recently added performance RT mode, which kind of runs it just below 1440p, but it locked 60 as, or close to locked 60 with um, locked 60 by PC gaming standards, I think, um, with, yeah. ray, you know, with ray tracing turned on, which is pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, what was it? it that it, They said it drops to 55 sometimes or something, but generally 60. Yeah. Um, because I heard that the PS5 ha had hardware-based ray tracing, but like, what the hell? It's running a very noticeable amount of ray tracing at dy dynamic 4K resolution and maintaining 60 frames per second. This looks like the game. The denial stage of grief has deluded me into thinking Cyberpunk was going to look like. With this and now the Apple M1, it just seems to me like everything a PC fan has made fun of me or others for using in the past is killing it at performance. What exactly does the PS5's ray tracing entail and just how capable is the additional hardware? Please pretend I'm an idiot. The fact of the matter is, and I think we, we answered a similar question on loose ends, by the way. The fact of the matter is we still don't know exactly what Sony's done with the customizations in their PS5. I know what I've been told. I know what I, you know, you guys know what I've reported. I haven't backed down on any of it. It has later than RDNA 2 features for some of this stuff, but we don't have die shots like we do the Xbox Series X. So we're still forced just somewhat guess on how it's happening. At the end of the day, they're programming to the metal, and um, I, I just I, I don't really have much else to add except that until we get good die shots 
and more information, we can't say more than has already been said about how they're doing it. But yeah. I do hope this is the future, by the way, because they had like a 4K 30 ray tracing mode before and then a 4K 60 no ray tracing. Please, like, I think in the middle there, like something with ray tracing above 30 because 30 frames per second's got to go, guys. It's got to go. Yeah, and a part, part of me, I haven't been able to play Miles Morales yet, so I, I guess I don't know, but part of me wonders yeah, if either. it's just intelligent employment of ray tracing or... Only doing it on the objects that matter, like puzzle, puddles and windows Although, and glass is what it seems like. The game is set in Manhattan, which does have a lot of glass mirror-like windows, so there's clearly the a fact lot that of it, That's what a lot of people on. are pointing out, the fact that it can even do that at all. And it's not like watchdogs where cars disappear and they're 20 feet away from a mirror. Which is hilarious. <laughs> like the fact that you can actually see pre- almost like see fa- almost to the point where you wouldn't notice they're disappearing is impressive. I think it's a little yeah. closer than that, though. And, well, and from what I've seen in practice, you wouldn't really notice it. Like, yeah, cars like four blocks away start disappearing or something. But eh, whatever. It, it, you, you can notice it, but you're not going to notice it while playing the game. But I, I, I did bring this up because enough, enough with the <laughs> cyberpunk excuses. It may look good maxed out, but it's running at 20 frames, whereas this is running at 60 on a $500 console, not a $2,000 graphics card. Enough. Yeah. Enough with the excuses. Enough. <laughs> Jerome writes in and says, have you read this by any chance? It gives an interesting view on the performance scaling of risk versus CISC. Is this something that is really going to bite AMD and Intel? Is there a good path forward? Um, I, again, you know, I think we were asked a similar question in the loose ends about x86 being dead versus risk five and arm. And all I've got to say is that there are certain circumstances where there is just an inherent advantage, you know, and, um, and non x86, some of these different architectures, but that it really is with the M1. It is just a well-designed CPU though. You can't just say it's because it's arm, you know. Well, and it's a CPU that's designed for a very specific closed platform that they can heavily optimize for that platform. Um, right. So I, I don't have much else to say besides that. I'd say watch that loose ends because I kind of, we went into it way more in depth there, that argument. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Tick Dickler again writes in apparently. He says, hi, Dan and or Tom. What is this hi, Dan and or Tom? I'm I think- taking over the podcast, Tom, didn't you know? Shit. Get the fuck out. All right. See you guys. <laughs> um, that's just the last episode with Tom. <laughs> just like that. It just abruptly ends. And then it's you reading the thank you names. That'd yeah. be hilarious. We should have done that as a bit. But alas, we ruined it's too it. late. We ruined it. We ruined it. A- uh, he says, Apple shill here. Back at it again. Um, and he says, in your expert opinion, well, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I'm, I'm certainly talking and have opinions. He says, how much of the M1's performance is due to the 5 nanometer node? Uh, I mean, a large part of it. I, I, I mean, like, like, that's something also people aren't talking about. It's like this 8-core Apple M1 is beating, you know, the 5950X in certain things. It's like, it's also 5 nanometer versus 7, <laughs> yeah. guys. And it gets crushed and multi-threaded by the 5950X, of course. Like, it, a lot of it, you know. Like, it, it, it's not all the node. It is not. But it is a lot. Like, guys, the M1 is on 5 nanometer. It's built using, it's built in conjunction with apps they have full control over that they can program to the metal, fully optimized. And again, it's not just that it's optimized for the apps. They're optimized for each other in parallel. Like, that's a huge advantage. Like, 
it, that that that's what a lot of this is. It's yeah. it, you know, it, it's not just because it's ARM, and it doesn't mean that AMD and Intel are about to die. It should be worrisome that they were able to make this on their own. But then again, Apple's worth how much? They're like a two trillion dollar company. It's like they have I think the money they, to do it. Why would they not? Yeah. I, Apple has the money where if they want to do something, they can just do it. I'm not saying they can do it in a year, and I doubt they may be M1 in a year, but they can make a great CPU architecture that works really well on their platform. Yeah, I mean, and so I guess, yeah, I, that, just to say it one more time, that's another thing to yeah, emphasize. Yeah. It's like Apple managed to make this great chip. Well, great. They, they're worth more than Intel, so... I mean, like, I hope they can afford to buy engineers and do things, you know, like, <laughs> like we shouldn't be surprised that they're starting to compete at things they didn't used to when they're one of the richest companies on earth. They can, they can hire engineers on their own, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, come on, guys. Um, B Cannon 2000 writes in and says, hey, Moore's Law's dead crew. I finally got a job. So I joined the patron so I can ask some questions. But first, I just wanted to thank you guys for all the work you do. Has gotten me through being jobless and has gotten me more interested in technology than I was before. I'm in my second year of college, and at this point where I need to select my path firmly, I'm wanting to become a silicon engineer or whatever is going to be in that field when I'm done, I guess, and or a PCB designer. I'm not really sure what I'm asking as I write this. Do, do you have any ideas of where the things where I should focus? You said the future of CPUs isn't more cores, but specialized cores. Do you think this would be? I mean, this reminds me of when I was talking to the AI developer how when he was in college he was just really interested in AI development and so that's what he specialized in from computer science I believe so and that's kind of the advice I would give you you know that's the advice I would give someone like if they were in school and it's like oh you've got to learn a language in high school should you learn Spanish French German I would say I mean I think some languages are more spoken and so that's obviously maybe a more useful language to learn some languages relative to others but if there's one language you enjoy more do that one because you'll be better at it, right? Yeah. And at the and, end of the day, there's no point in like half-ass learning Spanish if you really like German, even if not as many people speak German. <laughs> yeah, and I would also just say, I, I don't know where you are, like what college you're going to, but uh, if you can't get a job with a professor working on this type of stuff, even with the professors, it would be more experimental and not uh, try to work with professors Try to get internships. Um, Hands-on experience is way more valuable than any class you'd ever take. Yeah, and you know, like, a, like when I got into mechanical engineering, which is what I majored in at Michigan Tech, I I actually got into it to design guns. Right? You know <laughs> that, Dan. That I, I found them fast, like fascinating. Their inner workings, and over time, I found that actually, much like our mom. I was kind of obsessed with the process of testing and making things. Like I like doing things correctly. And so I got more and more into the testing and efficiency side of things, which is what I've always really, really, truly been like something that I'm good at is like looking at, well, why are we doing things this way? Why are we building things this way? Like that. And that is just so don't be afraid to just try a lot of these things. And if you like PCB design a lot, and I did some of that in a couple of CS classes I took in college, I did design at least a couple of PCBs. One of them worked. <laughs> well, actually, actually, they both should have worked. One of them was the guy who manufactured it. It's fault. He cut off part of 
my PCB. And I was actually really pissed about that because I thought what I designed was pretty cool looking, but whatever. Anyways, <laughs> we won't get into that. You see, it's the problem. You design, but then you could argue I, on paper, what I designed was really cool looking. <laughs> it was hard to manufacture. My bad. You know, like if you, <laughs> like, you could also argue, yeah, you know, maybe it's good on paper. So you need good PCB designers who can look at something and go, you know, maybe in theory this will work, but are they really going to be able to make this, you know, mass produce this, you know? So if that's what you're interested in, we need a lot of people who are good at that. And just, just try all of it and see what you're interested in. When it comes to R- ARM Risk Five x86, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people like Jim Keller worked on both. Granted, he's a genius. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Just learning what you need to learn to help design any of these types of products. Yeah. And the, the last thing I would say is it's I, I know when you're in college, it seems or before college or wherever you are, it always seems like whatever choice you make sets you on the path you have to go down. I don't think you need to be that concerned with specializing this early on. I I know you're in your second year of college, but that in the grand scheme of things is very, very early into your career. Yeah, and let me see. One of the best, this commencement address from Conan O'Brien, actually. It sounds a bit random for me to bring up, but I remember watching this like a year and a half ago, and Conan gave this commencement speech to college, to some college kids that... I think is some of the best advice I've ever heard that I wish I would have heard sooner. And like, you know, he starts out being very funny and there's like, how, it's hilarious. So I just work when mm-hmm. people watch it in general. It is hilarious. Have you watched it, Dan? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hilarious at first, but by the end, he actually gives some incredible advice, which is that you're going to go into adulthood thinking you're going to be something but you'll almost always find you should probably be something else that you're far better at. And that oh, half of what determines your success in the workforce is accepting that what you thought you were going to be isn't what you're going to be and embracing what you're actually good at and what you actually enjoy that you're good at. You know, so that, that, that's the best advice I can give. So just remember that too right now as you're like deciding what to go into. I recommend watching that. There'll be a link in the description. Um, don't assume you know what you will be. Like you're good. We're living long lives here, you know? Yeah. All right. Connor writes in and says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Can you elaborate on the relationship between a source and a leaker? I remember in the first video I saw from you, Tom, you were showing up all the stuff you got right. Yeah, I think I might do that too much. Because I immediately <laughs> thought, I think, I, I think I, that's a, some criticism that's been a little fair. I think there's a time and a place for it. But I think at a certain point, it's like, all right, enough. Just talk about the video because I immediately thought about what do sources get in exchange for sending you or working with you on accurate information. Most mainstream media uh, can afford to pay for some stories, but most good leakers see most good leakers seem to have a lot of info and are quite low key at the same time. So it doesn't feel like they are paying for info. Well, yeah, I haven't paid for a single piece of info, guys. At least not money. Um, because at, at least most of the time, I understand a good bit of a is people you just know, but even then, what benefit does the source get for the risk of possibly being disciplined by their employee? P.S. Don't feel pressured to expose sensitive parts of your opera. Well, yeah, I'm a big boy, but no, I, what, uh, I won't just say stuff that gives people away. I mean, like, I, I just think a large part of it is indeed, sometimes it's stuff people want, you know, like some of the whistleblowing, you almost argue at Intel or NVIDIA. Half of it's that, like, 
some of the info they sent us because people should know that this is how bad things are, that they're just lying to investors. Like some people just feel compelled to tell people their story. And another part of it is just, I mean, a large part of it is they just want you to succeed. It's something Adored talked about before that like some of his best sources were like, well, you've gotten so many things right without sources that I feel compelled to steer you in the right direction. So there's part of that, you know, um, and, and also just a lot of it is, it's just people, you know, in a network you build up over time. Right. And I, I can't go into too much detail because there are some other things that are part of it, but you know, uh, it's just, you look at all the people that I have on broken Silicon, a lot of them connected me to people like you've seen, like some of these, some of these, yeah. you know, industry veterans that I've had on, they know some people that they've connected me to. Right. Some of them. And of course, I'm not going to name names or, and that's generally where all the current sources come from. None of them are just anonymous email sources anymore. Like, and and because that's frankly just too risky um, and really not worth the time when you can, like, uh, I've I've talked about how on my whiteboard, there's just so much I haven't had time to get to. I'm not desperate. I I never wanted, planned to be a leaker. So it's like, I have no need to beg for emails from people I don't know about, you know, the PS5 when I have this Alder Lake leak sitting here I could do instead. <laughs> yeah, and the fact and- that I'm so interested in so many types of hardware gives me the luxury of not insisting on going with more riskier stuff anymore. And that's why my track record over the last half of 2020, I think has been so insane is because I just don't run with things if I'm not sure. And there's some things that people leaked that I knew I knew about Emma, I knew about Arcturus, and I, I I knew it was over forty teraflops months before Dord ran that article. I just didn't have time to get to it, you know. And, and then once that turned out to be true, I was like, oh, so this source is definitely good. It's not worth, especially the size your channel is at now, to run with stuff that there's a high likelihood is wrong. And I just wouldn't trust many anonymous emails unless you can really bet them. Yeah, and and it's even come to the come to a certain point where even if it's a reliable source i know some are more more like even more reliable -er, (laughs) or whatever you want to say and so it's like i'm gonna run with that story first because i'm more sure at this one yeah like the god of war leak for example was something i knew about for months just months and i didn't go through and and you know same well and i'm sorry metal gear solid i knew about since almost the beginning of 2020 it's just it's such an insane story that i wasn't willing to run with it until i had multiple sources that and the, and the, actually, the last one knew more than the first one and has never been wrong. So that's where the, I finally just said, yep, I'm talking about Metal Gear Solid on this Broken Silicon <laughs> recording today, Dan. Like, I was just like, I'm going to do it, you know. And since then, people have found Metal Gear Solid Easter eggs in Blue Points, Demon Souls, which is hilarious. Which I should, I should look, for, all look at, but confirm it. I mean, <laughs> I should look that up because that's that's insane. I, I mean, I know the people at Blue Point are fans of Metal Gear Solid, so. That's yeah, but that's that's kind of insane that they put Easter eggs in Demon Souls. Yeah, you know, it it seems to happen. You know, there are Last of Us Easter eggs in Uncharted Three. It just it is. You know, it's not new. It's that was an accident that they forgot to take. That out was an accident. Yes. Um. All right. So that's the episode. It was a lower key episode. Uh, uh, although this turned out to be a decent sized, a decent length one. Though the one we did in one sitting somehow. But you don't have anything mm. else to do. You're stuck in eastern Pennsylvania covered in snow. Yeah, my car is certainly covered in snow. Yeah. 
Is how's the internet connection? Would are are you gonna want to play games later? Or is this just a no go? Probably not. No. Yeah, that's something we learned. We actually got into Warzone over Christmas break. Surprisingly to us, we just tried it out and we were like, "Oh, we like this battle royale." <laughs> yeah, like it's a really lot good. more than I thought I would. You know, um, and uh, but man, Call of Duty is not a game that works on a bad connection. Which why not? You know, it shouldn't. But it re- you you will lose if you have a bad connection. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my internet connection is from 2008. So, here, although it's been fine uh, for the call, uh, but it's yeah, it it's, doesn't use that much data. It's five mega megabit per second, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I guess not. I tried playing. I, I will say though, I tried playing Warzone by myself last night. Not not good. Not as fun not by yourself. <laughs> I mean, like I did well in one of them, but it's just not as fun. It's just more conductive to camping than because you're by yourself and always watching your back. So oh, there's yeah. more people just sitting in hallways staring at a door because you don't have that luxury of having an ally who can revive you. So it's much less fun, in my opinion. Yeah, that doesn't sound as fun. I mean, I guess I tried like, I, I tried like Fortnite um, single, uh, singles. And yeah, that I kind of just ended up cam- camping in a bush and shooting people when they walked by. A lot of bush camping in Warzone <laughs> if it's one person, which doesn't work when it's 4v4 because, oh, good, you got one of us from the bush. Now we all know you're in the bush and are going to shoot you and revive that guy. It's like, that's why I've always liked the bigger team games much more, which I, I guess and now now Modern Warfare just added a ground war mode that is 64 players and vehicles. So I guess they're just turning into Battlefield, which I, I think is good, even though it, it sucks compared to that game. I, I like the that other game modes. mode. Isn't- it's not as good as Battlefield, to, no. Yeah, they, they need to fix that game. Mode but that should scare DICE a lot when they see Call of Duty having guns with bullet trajectories, you know, like, you know, with like bullet drop and velocities, 64 player battles with vehicles, and it kind of seems to work and they just did it out of nowhere. DICE yeah. should uh, take Battlefield 6 very seriously. This needs to be a home run for them. Everything's riding on that. If it isn't good, DICE is in trouble, I think. Or the Battlefield I, franchises, for sure. Based on um, DICE's re- release schedule for Battlefields, I'm guessing it's going to be uh, a solid hit because they, they but, seem but, to do... It seems that every other game Battlefield game they make is a little worse. And then the next one is better. Yeah, then they're like, oh, oops. yeah. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think it can just be good, though, when Call of Duty's experimenting with just adding a battlefield mode to call. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like it needs to be not just a good battlefield. They need to pull out all the stops and cut the bullshit. Like, like in battlefield five, which I actually liked a lot, the operations mode just felt half finished compared to battlefield one. Like it almost felt like there should have been another mission in some of the operations, but there wasn't, it wasn't as, you know what I mean? Like it, they, yeah, that's not going to cut it anymore. You know, half-assing some of their game modes, which Operations was like a mainstay of Battlefield 1, half-assing that's not going to cut it when Call of Duty can apparently just add a half-ass Battlefield game mode to their own game for free. Yeah, and, well, now we're getting into the weeds, but like Battlefield, the net code for Battlefield is so much worse in my experience than what Call of Duty is. Like, I've had way less lag on Call of Duty than I've had on Battlefield Five. Yeah, I've, and so I guess that's one thing to say, is Call of Duty seems to require 
very good connections to play, or it just straight up doesn't even let you. I'll say your connection's not good enough. Like they have actually seen that popped up. We were on an unstable Wi-Fi connection once. Um, but in return, man, the hit detection and stuff has been incredibly good. None of this crap I used to see in older Call of Duty. So I know we're late to the party talking about modern warfare, but it's like we got into it over Christmas break and whoa, this is this is the first Call of Duty in like a decade. I've been like, this is awesome. Yeah, good job, Infinity Ward. <laughs> good job. You're back, baby. All right. Well, there you go. I know there are some people that write in the comments, please talk about Battlefield and shooters more because so there it is. There's your like mini episode of us just randomly talking about what we think about some shooters. Um, hope you enjoyed that, Dan. I don't know. Don't go off the road. Take care of your dog there. And uh, I don't know. I hope she's, she's currently sleeping on the hotel bed and she was making random noises that during the recording. Not sure if it, anything picked up, but yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you found the time to do this, though. This has probably worked out a little better for you, though, so you didn't have to record an episode right when you got back. So at least we got that out of the way. And I'm working on a big APU, kind of looking at like HBM and APUs that are coming video, just so everyone knows. I'm not sure if that'll be out by the time this is out. I'm guessing not. Um, I'll probably come out like at the end of the week. And then, of course, I've got an engineer who helped design Intel Optane coming on. I've got several software engineers I'm talking to about discussing like the future of ray tracing and the consoles. I've got all types of cool peeps. So just remember, you'll get access to all that early and ad-free at the right tiers. You get to submit reader mail on the Patreon. The Patreon is what sustains this at this point. That is, I think, the focus of 2021 in terms of growth is growing the Patreon into something that can sustain a much larger production value and crew before we ever try to get to like a bazillion subscribers on YouTube. I think that's what we're going to focus on. And we, well, Dan, it's our third year though. And I just, as the first new episode of the year, thank you to the people that have been here since possibly the end of 2018 before Broken Silicon was even launched. I hope you'll stay with us on this large journey ahead. Ahoy. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Dan <laughs> is okay. And that's just about it as usual. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of shitty. I mean, I agree. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the episode. Take care. Happy New Year. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. 
And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crassa, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Do, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Deseru, Daniel Hyde, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Master Andy Wan, My Name Is Nobody, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telus, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg D. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Trita Full, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, John Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Hardforum.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Canar, Michael Casa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Power, Stu, Elenia, Nan Nan, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Luca, Sabre Zever, Zlicky, Matt Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Carl Marco, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniscu, Dave McCoy, Valcom Melev, Ms. Sears, Paul Bogdan, Morton Spenson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stankowitzk, Jack Pym, Wakir Khan, Ashil Dar Epstein, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Fito, Peter Moore, Chris Lakata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Din Dispotsky, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, and Luis Correa. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 